Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davis on Talk Sport. Good evening and welcome to Fight Night on Talk Sport, your home for boxing. Yes, we're on earlier. We've gone prime time. The new boss loved the show so much last week, he stuck us on at an earlier time slot. It's nothing to do with us not having any football commentary this evening. I promise. Uh, Anthony Yard's going to be joining us in the studio for a little bit of a chinwag about his upcoming bout next weekend at the Royal Albert Hall. Also on that card, Johnny Garton, British welterweight champion. He's joining us in the studio as well. We hope to be speaking to Billy Joe Saunders on the phone. Uh, we will talk about James DeGale's retirement that he announced this week. And of course, with everything that's going on in the heavyweight division, we thought we'd delve into Gareth A. Davis's contact book and get older Shelley Finkel. So hopefully he's going to be joining us later on to give us all the latest with his man Deontay Wilder. And as I just mentioned his name, he's alongside me right now. Gareth, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you know what? I, I'm tinged with disappointment tonight, Adam, because I know we were on tour last week at the mm. O2 Arena, uh, headlined obviously by probably the end, well, it was the end in the end of James DeGale's career against Chris Eubank, a, a brilliant victory for Chris Eubank. But I, we never really talked about it enough last weekend, but I'm kind of disappointed that we aren't getting very excited about Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury in oh, a few yeah. weeks' time. I really, I, I do, I feel a bit flat, I'll be honest Same. with you. Same. I do feel flat about it, you know? Well, we'll uh, get stuck into that. And if you want to get involved with it as well, this is your show as much as it is mine and Gareth's. Uh, 08717 If you've got any thoughts of what's going on in the world of boxing right this moment in time, you can text on 1889 and you're more than welcome to tweet us directly at TalkSport. Now, normally at this point of the show, I'll go through the big three stories of the week. However, there's only really been one. Take a listen to this. <laughs> Please welcome the hard-hitting, reigning and defending, undefeated WBC heavyweight champion of the world, introducing the bronze bomber, Deontay Wilder, known as the Gypsy King, introducing the undefeated Tyson Fury. The WBC World Heavyweight Championship. Here we go. Oh, and down he goes. I think it's over. Is he going to get up? Can he get up? Can he get up? He does. Oh, my goodness. Somehow Fury has managed to get up. 
The referee is having a very, very close look at him. In the last round, is Wilder going to turn this one around? And I seen, I literally seen this man eyes rolling in the back of his head. And I seen Jack on the ground with him, you know, checking him. I'm like, it's over, you know. You know, only God knows how he got back up. Oh. oh, what a left hand from Fury. Great punch. punch. Great punch from Fury. Where did that come from? And now Wilder's holding on. He's almost going down. Deontay Wilder is struggling. And judge of ringside, Phil Edwards scores about 113 to 113. Even a draw. The decision is a split decision draw. And we're going to recalculate. Sit down with me, team but I'm sure we're going to do it again. That's a lovely belt, and I still want to add it to my collection, but Deontay Wilder keeps his belt tonight. We're going to rest up. I'm going to let him rest up, and uh, we're going to do it again, you know. I think the fans would love to see that again, and uh, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all depending on them when they, when they want to do it. I'm here. They want it right away. I give it to them. He want to wait. Then we can wait. Tyson uh, Fury and Queensbury have signed a long-term deal with ESPN. He's, he will be, they will be Tyson's exclusive broadcasters in the States. But Frank, what about the rematch? Tyson wants it. We all want it. And we've got to make it happen. It's a different situation. Our showtime's not the only game in town. And from your perspective, I mean, how much do you want the guy in the ring again? Listen, if I didn't want to fight him, I wouldn't have uh, took it in the first place. And I want you to fight him. I can only fight any point in front of me. I want the biggest fights, the Joshuas, the Wilders of the world, and everybody else out there too. He'll be watching. He'll be watching this, you can be sure of that. Well, if you're watching, Deontay, I'm coming for you, baby! Fury did not want to fight me. Fury signed his ESPN deal to run away from him. But you can't go nowhere. Where are you going to go? He's not a champion. He didn't win the fight. So there you go, the story from start to finish. When I say start, basically last December when me and Gareth were ringside at the uh, Staples Centre in Los Angeles watching one of the best heavyweight contests, definitely in my generation. Uh, and hopefully, we were, we, were, we were hopeful off the back end of that, that they would do it all over again. And the WBC mandated it. We thought that they, it was going to get signed, sealed and delivered for uh, some time in May of this year. Maybe Las Vegas, maybe LA, maybe New York. We didn't know the location, but we knew it was close. And then all of a sudden... It falls flat. We found out this week, Gareth, uh, that top rank, he's uh, Tyson Fury's new broadcast partner in the States, um, asked the WBC uh, for a little bit of leeway that they wanted Tyson to take an interim fight and maybe come back to the Wilder fight by the back end of the year. Very disappointing for the fans. Definitely, and, and that montage brilliantly put together by our boxing editor, Matt Smith, and his assistant, Adam, um, kind of depicting there what we've had over the last three months. That very last quote, Adam, from Deontay Wilder was on Sirius XM Radio last night with Commissioner Randy Gordon, mm. former commissioner, boxing commissioner in New York, and also Jerry Cooney, of course, one of the great heavyweights from the 70s and 80s. Here's the thing. Um, there is disappointment. Um, I think there's disappointment because um, the the whole longitude and latitude of the heavyweight division altered irradicably um, and irrevocably on the 18th of um, February when we were all taken by that curveball. We're expecting the date. We, we all thought it was May the 18th in either... Mm. I, I thought, well, I'd heard it was May the 18th. It was mm -hmm. either going to be Las Vegas or New York, mm -hmm. and that's all I was waiting to have confirmed. How Frank Warren and his team, Bob Arum, um, 
ESPN kept that under wraps. I don't know because even ESPN didn't reveal it ahead of time. You know, the likes of Dan Rayfield and so on. So that last quote from Deontay Wilder about Tyson Fury running, um, we're going to hear that now, unfortunately, over and over again for the next six months. Even last night on that program, Sirius XM uh, Boxing with Cooney and Gordon, um, they didn't challenge Deontay Wilder over the veracity. He said he knocked Fury out. No, he didn't. Um, and, and to most people's eyes, and to most good judges' eyes, Fury won that fight. Mm-hmm. So if anything, Fury's gone backwards, but where he's gone forwards is in a payday. That's what this is all about. Mobilizing the big guns, the Arams and the ESPNs of this world to maximize the paydays for Tyson Fury. The big issue now, it's not a problem with Wilder. Wilder will fight Dominic Brazil almost certainly, who's been the mandatory for the WBC title for a while. That throws Dillian White out, of course. Mm-hmm. It's a whole kind of set of dominoes going over in a line here. And what we'll get is Tyson Fury up against someone who people will probably react to like they did to Anthony Joshua facing Gerald Miller mm-hmm. with kind of disdain almost. It's a weird situation, but all it is is mobilizing for the biggest paydays possible. Uh, we've heard the word a lot, haven't we, business? And without any shadow of a doubt, it's a fantastic business move by Tyson Fury. I was asked the question a couple of weeks ago, who's the number one uh, heavyweight on the planet? My answer was Tyson Fury, but who's the most powerful heavyweight on the planet? Um, Anthony Joshua, followed probably by Deontay Wilder with his connections with Al Heyman. And Tyson Fury, even though I think he's the best, didn't necessarily have the power because he wasn't connected to the money men, the big money men over in the United States. This most certainly makes him do that and it gives him a lot of leverage at the discussion table. But fans don't care about that, Gareth, do they, mate? We were two moments... We were moments away. It was close. For people mm. that said that the fight wasn't close, that that's a lie. It was close. It was very, very close. And then at the last minute, this deal comes in and scuppers all plans. I'm actually worried now that we might not even get the rematch this year. We might not even well, get it for, for, for the next 12 months. Well, possibly, but... Um... Um, we're going to get. I did get hold of Shelley Finkel, by the way, and he's going to come on air about nine thirty tonight. He's going to put that whole side of it and explain some of the ins and outs of what was required mm. from Deontay Wilder in order to to go over and fight with ESPN. The conditions weren't right, and that's what it comes down to in the end. It's in a contract, a negotiation, and that's where it's failed. Um, I don't know, Adam, if it'll take 12 months. It, it could potentially, but the ideal scenario... Listen, it's heavyweight boxing, remember, and anyone can lose at any time. Mm-hmm. You know... Anthony Joshua could got, get beaten by Gerald Miller. Um, Tyson Fury could have a banana skin against, I don't know, Joseph Parker, let's say, who's been mentioned. I've, well, Kubrat Pulev is also an ESPN uh, fighter, exactly, isn't he? Like exactly, exactly, and has been signed up by, by top rank, I think, in the last couple of weeks as well. Yeah. I spoke, by the way, just to give you some news, I spoke to David Higgins, uh, Joseph Parker's mm-hmm. uh, manager in New Zealand, about 36 hours ago, and he said, we've had no dealings yet with Tyson Fury. So that's up to date. Mm-hmm. There's no negotiation going on at the moment. But he's a kind of viable, kind of uh, a dance partner, if you like, uh, for Tyson Fury. The ideal scenario, that he could lose. Joshua could lose. Wilder could lose his next fight. I don't think all three of them will. No. But one of the three may lose. And the problem we've got with this, the longer it plays out, the more chance there is of the best not fighting the best when they're at their best or their their records aren't at their best. Um, For me, um, I think what happened was, like you say, they looked for an extension 
um, Mauricio Suleiman, who I've been speaking to a lot recently as well, trying to find out the ins and outs. Because even when the Fury fight was an, uh, the Fury deal with ESPN and Bob Aaron was announced on the 18th of Feb, um, I spoke to Mauricio that night. Uh, the president of the World Boxing Council. And he said, look, I will take soundings from both parties, from both teams, from both camps, and if it looks like they're moving forward, we'll give them a third extension. Because mm. if you remember at the time, they'd had the, the purse bids were due to be, or the negotiation was due to be sorted by the 5th of February, and they'd had two weeks of extensions. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. As you say, the fans aren't interested in all of this, really. They want the big men to step between the ropes and mm. do what they do best, which is create drama, have great fights, put themselves on the line. Mm. I'm disappointed only in as much as um, it was Tyson Fury that scattered the belts to the wind, first of all, mm -hmm. by beating Vladimir Klitschko on November 2015, Adam. Yes. Yeah? That's a long time ago. Anthony Joshua grew in stature. Deontay Wilder kept winning. And again, it was Tyson Fury that came back and took the biggest challenge as quickly as possible to open the division again. And in a way, remember a year ago, I had a, I had kind of not a debate, but uh, not an argument, but a debate with you and Nick Pete on air. You know, Nick Pete being one of our associates on the show sometimes mm -hmm. as well, that you guys both felt that Anthony Joshua had the best record. And my argument was, no, Tyson Fury has. And it's brilliant to hear you. I'm not saying you've changed your tune, but it's brilliant to see. I think record-wise, I still stand by that, but I think he's the number one. I still think I think Tyson Fury's the better boxer, but I think Anthony Joshua's got a better record. If you look at the type of characters that he has, has on his resume, I, th I think he is the more elite fighters that he has beaten. I think after... I. I I, I come over to you, to your side, a little more, given that he's beaten Povetkin, and Povetkin was mm. a tricky customer. And as we saw, it was a hard, it was hard work for him for three rounds. Yeah. Um, and he did have trouble with Povetkin, with Povetkin's traps and setting different things for him. But what we have now, um, the ideal scenario, DAZN, I know, again, some inside information, DAZN are planning to get, um, definitely planning to, to push for Anthony Joshua against Wilder or Fury in May next year. Mm. Definitely. Um, and, and probably in the UK at Wembley Stadium. That is the fight they want. And they mm. will throw, as you know, 365 million US dollars for 11 Saul Canelo Alvarez fights. He's the biggest draw in world boxing. He's more, a bigger draw than Anthony Joshua at the moment. And in a piece I did in the Sunday Telegraph last week with Joseph Markowski, uh, Markowski um, the, the, the British-educated um, um, uh, what is it, executive vice president of Zone in the United States, they want to turn Joshua into a global superstar. Mm. They'll do that. ESPN can turn Tyson Fury into a global superstar. I wanted nothing more, and I know you'll agree with this, than Tyson Fury to fight Deontay Wilder by the end of the summer this year mm -hmm. and then to have that big match-up, that all British... Absolutely. That, that, and that's that what will all the fans never wanted. be reached. They will, uh, a, a fight that big we'll, we will never see again in our lifetime between mm. those two, you know? Um, and it, but that's, it, what all, that's what all the fans wanted, absolutely. Now, with, with everything that we know, a penny for Dillian White's thoughts. Because Dillian White, as we know was offered the Anthony Joshua fight for Wembley, April 13th. Should have he... taken the five million. Should have taken right. it. Right, exactly Because he might that. end up in a one and a half million pound fight. You just don't know. And I'm, I, I've got so much time for, for Dillian. Um, you know, he, he, but he wasn't happy with the conditions and that's fair enough. But he may look back on it now and think, oh, I wish I'd taken the five million fight. You know, Wembley mm. Stadium, 
I think he had a decent shout against Anthony Joshua, um, but the conditions weren't right for him. He's playing the long game. It may work out in his favour in the long term. But mm. he also may be ruining the fact he didn't take that five million plus upside. Both Hearns have well, told the problem me, is the for way. him. The problem is for him with Dillian now is because we thought that he would, would fight Brazil. It's looking likely that Brazil now will fight Wilder. Mm. With Usyk stepping up to heavyweight, likely, I mean, it's rumoured that he will fight Povetkin. There's not there's not many around left for Dillian White. The only name that screams out at me is Luis Ortiz, and if I were Dillian White, I wouldn't want any of that. Yeah, I mean, it's not looking good. It looks like, like you've just said, it looks like a bad decision that he made. He should have taken the Anthony Joshua fight. Yeah, I mean, the trouble is that there's such an enormous chess game going on. Like I said, well, it's 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 more of um it's more of the dominoes at the moment. You know, it you is, push yeah. that one, and the the rest all go in in sequence in whatever curvature you want to take it and I think that's what's happened because the the, the, the curveball has just come from Tyson Fury which really you could just expect because he is the most unorthodox of all of them mm. he would step in with any of them tomorrow I know that mm. um, but I think you know the business guys have taken over his kind of tenure at the moment and he will follow that route um, you know I, I just hope Adam we aren't talking about this in a year's time Same. and that is the big fear I have right now I really think I'm sitting here with my fingers crossed looking at you yeah <laughs> no I really I'm on my toes I'm, I'm moving the, the toes over as well because <laughs> we have seen these scenarios it only takes one of them to lose mm -hmm. and or one of the three. And then so there's an excuse not to have that yeah, matchup. And, and then it's going to take two years for it to be made again. That's the problem. Mm, absolutely. More disappointment, I think, on the horizon for the fans. But hopefully things will start to get better at the back end of the year in the heavyweight division. There's some cracking knocks elsewhere, of which we're going to talk about throughout the course of the show. So do stick with us for that. If you want to get involved with the show, you can. 08717 Gareth just mentioned Anthony Joshua's name there. He's fighting the big baby, Jarrell Miller. Uh, you can hear from him next on the show. Don't call it a comeback. Uh, you listen to Fight Night on Talk Sport this week uh, in London was the second part of the Anthony Joshua versus Jarrell Miller press call. Uh, the boys rocked up in London town after their escapades in New York the week previous. Uh, Don McGuinness was there and he caught up with the uh, champ, uh, started to talk uh, all things about the fight. But first of all, AJ wanted to get something off his chest. Let's start yeah. this way. Talk Sport, right? Dylan yeah. was on Talk Sport and he made an accusation yeah. that um, the offers that we had made him we're low-balling, um, we weren't interested in the fight, but just to clear that up, um, the offer that he said we offered him was more than double what he was paid to Zora. And I feel like, you know, you want to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world. Why do you then go and look, look for, like, Dominic Brazil to become a mandatory challenger? You know, when you have an opportunity to skip a mandatory position and fight for the titles. And... It's just interesting because sometimes people are so caught up and hell-bent with these percentage splits now that what they don't realise is that sometimes the flat fee is equating to roughly around or a little bit more than what percentage split they're asking for. Um, so I just find that interesting that why someone will come on talk sport and um, make false accusations to the public about what reality is. I just wanted to clear it up before we start. You're certainly involved. You're proving that. You're very hands-on with your, your whole career then, aren't you? You're involved with all the, the business side of it, the negotiating. You're, you're very hands-on with that. I have a good, good, good management team who look after me. 
um, good family members. But I do keep my ear to the ground as well. I think it's really important. And it, like when you look at the history of the sport, you've seen, not even just boxing, in sport in general, you see a lot of athletes make a lot of major mistakes. And I think because it's that saying is, don't worry, you just focus on the sport and we'll take care of everything else. And I feel like in boxing, um, I feel I like to revert to Mayweather because he showed us that it's good to have your your eyes and ears to the ground as well, but also focus on keeping your legacy. Because I feel like a happy fighter is a good fighter. And if you're happy with what you're, with the information you're being fed, you're happy with the facts, you'll go out there and perform in training and you'll put on a good show on the night. And I think that's important. Anthony Joshua earlier this week uh, speaking to Don McGuinness. And to be fair, Gareth, there at the start of that, I kind of got to agree with him. I agreed with him at the time, actually. All the, all the chat of... Um, percentage splits. I only really thought um, were prevalent in the conversations that Anthony Joshua would have with either a Tyson Fury or a Deontay Wilder. When it came to um, Dillian White, even though he's got himself in a good position with the WBC and a good position with the WBO, to to be called as a mandatory, you kind of you're playing a waiting game in order to do that. Now I know that percentage splits are set in stone for mandatory challenges, but if you're offered an opportunity to have a go at the unified heavyweight championship of the world and you're being given five million quid at Wembley Stadium, it's kind of a, it's kind of the golden ticket to jump the queue and get stuck in there. And I can't believe now that the advisors around Dillian would have advised him against that. I think it, I think now with hindsight, it's obvious that it was foolish, but at the time I even thought it was a little bit silly. He should have snapped the hand off. Well, he, you know, he's playing the long game, as I said, you know, in the, in the first segment, Adam. And I, I, I don't, um, I don't, disagree with them in doing that because that there he can get himself into an even better position than he is at the moment he can become mandatory for the WBC mandatory for the WBO all those percentages give him more but I, I agree you know when you look back on it now I mean hindsight's a great thing isn't it and but mm. the, the, you know the, just the, regarding what we're talking about with mandatories with the WBC one we'll, we'll go to that first the WBC very rarely call mandatory situations I mean look at when Adonis Stevenson was cruiserweight champion mm, mm, I don't think he had a mandatory for five mm, years that's right no they, they, they are very very lenient in um, and the WBO they, situation yeah. they, they boost the champion from the weight division below and if that's Usyk right. does go up yeah. if he goes up then he becomes the mandatory so therefore Dillian White's waiting again he is, but uh, listen, the, the problem for, uh, in one way, in, in some ways, because I spoke to both Hearns, Barry and Eddie, about the situation with Dillian, and they both feel he should have taken it. They both, because they felt that he was going to get an upside from the event. It would have been a yeah. big event. He'd have sold it really well. Mm -hmm. He could have played the bad guy against Joshua, the good guy. And it's... It's such a shame, really, because, like you say, he's going to have to tread water for a while now, mm. and he's going to have to do another fight, rather like he did with Joseph Parker, um, uh, but with, uh, I'm not going to say Travis Brown, not Travis Brown, um, um, the Australian. Marcus Brown. No, no. No, uh, Lucas Brown. You're Lucas, talking, Lucas Brown, not Travis Brown. He's a is a heavyweight UFC fighter. Um, <laughs> um, we're talking heavyweights. Um, and and you know that kind of a, a, another Chisora fight. They're not the. It's almost like they're waiting for the end game. Yeah, D Dillian needs to stay active, so he's got to fight someone. I I saw his brother Dean uh, last week. I think they're gonna they're gonna look to. 
they're going to look to create something in the middle of March and he'll fight probably May, June time. He's not going to mm. fight in April now. That's mm. out. He was going to fight April 20th, April 20th wasn't he? Yeah. I don't think he's going to be on that card now. And again, Adam, it's going to be that it's going to be a flatline fight again. Mm. It's not going to be a fight. He could end up fighting someone like a Bavetkin, by the way. Mm. You know, so the kind of person that still keeps him in the in the heavyweight mix. I'd like to see him. I'd prefer to have seen Dillian White against Deontay Wilder than Dominique Brazil. I think that's a better fan of course fight, it is. frankly. But it's, it's a lot more dangerous, but, but, though, isn't it, for Deontay Wilder? He won't take that. There's exactly. No question. And, and, and that's a fight that Wilder's avoided for ages. Can I just say... Mm. I just thought Anthony Joshua in that interview with Dom with our friend Dominic McGuinness. Yeah. That's the most lucid that I have heard Anthony for a very long time. You know, he's he's responded to spikes and spitefulness from both Gerald Miller and some digs from yeah. um from Dillian in the last week. I know we're going to come to all the detail of that in a minute, but what he's done very well I think in that interview is clarify I don't agree that um, I think a winning fighter is a happy fighter, by the way. He keeps that smile on his face as long as he keeps holding those belts. <laughs> he loses them. He's got this rebuilding process and people saying, mm, is he that good? All the people that see his physicality and his musculature and his power not seeing the, the technical deficiencies in his boxing. You know, people call them casuals. They're not. They're boxing fans. Yeah. They pay good money t to watch and see and travel to boxing with their partners and so on. That, that Some of the mystique of him may be altered if he loses. He can afford a loss. He can prob probably afford two over the next five years. Um, let it happen to Lennox Lewis, but he needs to avenge them and come back. But I love the lucidity of him there in defending who he, he is and what he's done. He's never tested positive. I know we're going to come on to drugs and so on. Well, carry on with it now, well, because that's what Jarrell Miller has kind of insinuated yeah, well, in, Jarell, in the conversation well, this well, week. Well, Jarrell Miller, for a start, fantastic guy that he is. Um, one of 21 siblings, of course, with his two trucks. We'll, we'll discuss him in, uh, as well at length. Um, he was talking about how Joshua put weight on. He got the facts about Joshua's weight wrong, by the way. And one of the things that Joshua... You know, Gerald Miller was saying, how has this guy put on, you know, kind of whatever it is, um, 10 kilos in seven or six years? Well, frankly, Joshua outlined his weight when he was um, a novice, when he was an Olympic champion. Um, and, and in fact, his body has steadily grown. He's never out of the gym. You know, he has never tested positive for anything, you know, other than cannabis in his car. Be tracksuit at the time for which he paid, you know, he, he got caned, if you like, by the, mm. the, the British boxing authorities and said, you ever do that again, you're never boxing for us. He learned his lesson. He has never tested positive for anything. He gets VADA testing in all his fights. He's on the constant testing of UK anti-doping until and if and when and ever this guy does test positive we cannot accuse him of anything it's totally unfair look Dillian raised something with me in a story I did when he called off the April 13th um, Wembley Stadium fight um, once and for all he said I'm not fighting on it I want him tested for 16 weeks by VADA that's fair enough from Dillian do you know what I mean mm. to say I want full four-month testing. He wasn't accusing him of anything. He was saying, but I want full testing with him like I'm having full testing on me. And that was was fascinating. But I think Anthony Joshua, in a very concise way, 
really stood up for himself very well this week. And he did. In New York, he threw the expletives back at Gerald Miller. And in London, he... I'm pun- punching the desk because that's what he did. He laid down his authority. He said, I'm going to rearrange your face and body and I'm going to make a statement against you, Gerald Miller. And I believe he will go in there and do that on April, uh, sorry, on June the 1st. I think it'll be a great fight, but I think he will set to Gerald Miller. You're listening to Fight Night. On TalkSport with me, Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davis. And every week, if we're not ringside, obviously commentating on a fight, we like to invite people to come and join us and have a little bit of a chat about themselves and their careers and where they aim to be in, say, 12 months uh, from now. One man that kind of epitomises all that is uh, one of our very best uh, British light heavyweights in the shape of Anthony Yard, and he joins us now. Ant, how are you, mate? You well? He's trying to get his headphones sorted out at the moment. He's got in, he's chilled as ever. He's looking like... Smooth and cool as he always is, but he's not going to bother with them. He d- he doesn't bother with the head guard. Well, he needs. He doesn't a- need a head guard. He, he can hear you. He can he hear you. He needs to. He needs to put the old headphones on there, mate. Anthony. Um, regarding iconic venues that you have been uh, fighting at over the years, my friend, uh, you've been at some absolute belters. But talk to me about Royal Albert Hall next uh, Friday night. Everybody uh, from uh, the very best in the musical world have been there, and now you're getting the opportunity to fight there next Friday. It's always going to be an honour to fight in an iconic venue. Um, I'm just going to try and make the most of it on the net. I've covered a few um, events at the Albert Hall. One of the most memorable, I think it was Julius Francis against Danny Williams. Heavy hitter. A heavy hitter. And then that night, Julius Francis was absolutely amazing. It was this purple moment, you know. Um, it was absolutely extraordinary. And also, I've seen a f- um, Frank Bullioni fighting there and his, his gr- crew going crazy there. Because it's circular, the, the acoustics in it, obviously it's made for sound. Yeah. It's absolutely extraordinary. And, and it's the decor, the sense of occasion. I think I might wear black tie to this one next Friday. You know? <laughs> it's that kind you know? of event. It's no, it is. Uh, it is. And you're headlining. I mean, uh, historically... There were some really big events there. Bruno, Frank Bruno's fought there in the past. Um, I think Mickey Duff used to use it a lot. It's one of those hallowed old places that that British boxing once kind of revered. It's brilliant that you're going back there. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm always looking forward to a fight night. Um, I love fighting, but in an iconic venue, I'm always going to try and make the most of it. So um, I'm happy to be there. Talk to me about Travis Reeves, man. how do we break him down? How do we get the victory? You know, um, jab to the head, jab to the body. <laughs> <laughs> Up top, downstairs. Now, I don't know. I don't know too much about him. Um, I know he's American. I know he's been in there with um, the most noticeable name will be Murat, how you pronounce it. Kura, um, um, Say it again? Yeah, well, the, we were talking about him earlier. The the opponent that he's had was um, Caro Murat. Oh, yeah. So who fought Nathan yeah. Cleverly. He's mm-hmm. kind of a comparable opponent who he lost to of course yeah so um i don't really know too much about him but obviously the, the way i'm going to look at him is he's another fighter i've got to take him very seriously and um do my job well it kind of leads you on to uh, what, what could be a phenomenal uh 12 month period even shorter than that i suppose because the wbo is starting to make those noises you're very highly ranked there with the boys yes uh the champion is obviously Sergei Kovalev once again, and your name is now being touted that the WBO might mandate that fight. That's exciting for the back end maybe of this year. Very, very exciting. It just shows me the level I'm getting to so quick. 
um, so fast. Um, a lot of people still don't know that I've had 12 amateur fights. Um, professional, I've only had 17. This is my 18th fight coming up. So um, in terms of experience, I haven't really had any. Mm. <laughs> so it's like I'm doing my experience and my apprenticeship in front of the world. So I'm happy doing it. I'm motivated, very, very motivated. And there's something that in the back of my mind keeps me so hungry and keeps me working so hard and trying to improve so much. Does that, I wouldn't say upset is the word, but does, does it get on your nerves a little bit? Because there is a little bit of naivety when it comes to you, Anthony, because people see you obviously knocking everybody over for fun, and you are, you're knocking people out, you know? Yeah. Uh, the way that you're going about your business, you've had 17 fights, you've had 16 knockouts. Yeah. But you've rightfully just pointed out there, you're not one of those guys that have had one of these crazy amateur pedigrees where you've had 200 fights, you've been at the Olympics and all this type of stuff. You are learning on the game, and people will... On social media, it's a killer place at times. People look at the level of opponent that you have been fighting and they'll say, when's he going to step up? When's he going to step up? As you yeah. just pointed out, you're still learning. I'm still learning. Not only that I'm still learning, um, if you look at some of my opponents, some of my opponents, yes, they were obvious building facts, etc. But some of my opponents recently, since I've had the WBO European and WBO Intercontinental, mm. some of my opponents have been on paper challenges due to the experience they've got due to the people they've fought or people they've taken a distance etc um how i've dealt with these opponents people again are going to say oh it was enough it was another knockover job i just made it look like that or if you go back and look at the fights they had against other people um you know they did appear yeah. to be tough challenges this is a very very important point i mean yeah. look you're ranked number one with the wbo at the moment yeah. you're ranked number five with the IBF. Have I missed any of the others out? No, that's it at the moment, isn't it? IBF. WBO's the main one. You're, yeah. you're going to be he, called as mandatory, yeah. Here's the thing, Adam. Anthony just hit the nail on the head. Styles make fights, yeah? Definitely. And, and you know, I've, I have I mean, I've been saying it for probably a year and a half, but Anthony, oh, I really want to see him test in a boxing match. Yeah. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? I want, to, I want to see him made to miss yeah. and kind of rethink his game plan and change the pattern of the fight and show us that he can change the pattern of the fight. Be under pressure, be caught on the ropes. Maybe... I don't wish this on you. Maybe be hurt momentarily and have to recover from it. Of Maybe course. go down. You want all questions the, answering all, is all, what you all, want. All those yeah. things which are part of the narrative of can someone fight out of the trenches? That's yeah. when we you're, suddenly your your fan base capitalizes ten times because you got up. You got up as that that champion material and did it again. The thing is, so far, no one's been able. <laughs> to even boxers have been able to do that because this man is is a physical. Can I say you're a physical freak? Oh, yeah, you can say you're that. a beautiful physical Peace freak. He's from the east, <laughs> uh, exactly. By the way, uh, his beautiful sister's in here tonight as well. So, yeah, I mean, but I mean, no, I, 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 I wondered if we were. I, I thought she could say, "Yeah, I'm a female boxing champion as well," <laughs> but she isn't. But the thing is, this that test may not come till you're in a world title fight, yeah. and that is a that is a possibility. Um, we both are friends with Joshua Boetzi. He's been yeah. in the studio as well. You're both coming up. Now, he has had that Olympic presentation, that Olympic kind of uh, um, dais that he's been put on. Yes. I wonder if you and he will meet. They've both just retired, George Groves and James DeGale. Uh, You'll yeah. both meet in a similar style before you're world champions i hope you're both world champions because i think if you can both hold belts yeah. and we bring that together it's, it's enormous it's enormous oh it's, it's a, a you know it's probably a stadium fight you know 100%. if it's built in the right way but the big thing for you right now and we've been talking about it earlier on the show 
The deal that BT Sport and Frank Warren have signed with Bob Arum and ESPN yes. also has a knock-on effect for boxers like yourself, doesn't 100%. it? 100%. And it's, it's all about exposure, getting yourself out there and um, performing on big stages. And I feel like that's what makes a, a global superstar. That's what makes that's what takes somebody just from being a, a um, star in boxing to being a, you know, a celebrity. You know, and sometimes it's mm. what you need. And um, you the know, people when, decide when you become a celebrity. Oh, one hundred percent, don't they? I remember when Carl Froch won the WBC against <laughs> Jean Pascal. One of the best fights I've ever been at in yes. Nottingham. They tra- it was like watching a black and white fight from the forties. From the forties, and yeah. they just Tore traded like two <laughs> men that didn't care about their own safety in there. And he came out and Carl put his hands in the air and said, I'm the WBC champion, I'm now a superstar. Yeah. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't, he wasn't yeah. till about 10 fights later. There's this moment, as I was saying about, there's this moment when the people decide. 100%. And you'll get that, you will have that. And it probably will be in that fight where you're broken, you're busted, you've been down, you've got up, you've knocked them down. Do you know what I mean? And your hand's raised at the end. Well, it's, it's so extraordinary. In my mind, to the um, average, you know, fighting public, that's what people want to see. But in my mind, I always want to keep my myself away from that, you know. I'm too good at, looking for that, aren't you, Anthony? You don't want to bust looking, that face up, man. Too good looking. <laughs> I'm looking at the Muhammad Ali's. I'm looking at the Floyd Mayweather's. People that try not to get hit, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, that's how you long last long in the sport. Again, I came into boxing very late, and um, mm. you know Bernard Hopkins. You know mm. he left the sport very very late. So I'm not saying I'll leave it that late, but again, I want to keep my faculties and keep myself sharp. But he spent five years learning. You know how, yes, you know, know the story. story. Bernard yes. Hopkins, of course, for those listening that don't know. Lost Bernard, his first fight. Yeah, he lost his first fight, but mm-hmm. for the five years before that, the way he became tough, he was the US penitentiary's champion. Yeah, don't get yourself locked up, mate. Don't get yeah. yourself in <laughs> no, We don't want you in prison for five years. So, no, but, but that's how he learned his trade. Yes. He fought with everyone in prison. He was in the gym every day and he was the penitentiary's champion. And you know what he learned to do? He was, well, the cell was locked. He was in bed at, he was in bed at nine o'clock. Yes. He never drank. He never smoked. He stayed away from drugs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've known Bernard a long time myself. I was there when he and Joe Calzaghe went in at the press room and we got the fight. Yes. Bernard is a brilliant character. In fact, when you've got an hour and a half, you can sit down with him. Do you know yes, what I mean? Yes, definitely. Because he loves the, his story, loves to tell it. But he's an extraordinary character. But he, he, I think he went on too long, Anthony. I didn't like. I think so. I, I didn't so, like yeah. him being pursued by these young fighters yeah, in the I end. I don't think you know? so either. Kovalev, um, for example. Kovalev, you know? um, the last guy that beat him um, when he knocked him out of the ring, etc. Smith. But um, yeah, Smith. Mm. Um, he had a fantastic career, though. You know, middleweight. Um, you could say boxing god, um, longest reigning champion. I'm Twenty-one sure. fights. Twenty-one, 21 defenses. Yeah, that's just yep. crazy. So again, he's yep. a legend in his own right. Mm. And then he went on to be a um, very successful businessman for Golden Boy. So I always commend someone like Bernard Hopkins. Anthony, regarding, you just mentioned Kovalev's name there. I know that, yeah. that that's not the next fight, but it, it's a possibility at some point this year. We yeah. know that he just regained his belt. You must have watched it. What did you think? I didn't watch it. Um, I know that's going to sound weird to a lot, of, um, a lot of the public, but again, I've got my own fight coming up. Mm. I'm very, very focused on myself and my own development. Um, I don't really feel like I need to be watching anyone or fearing any other person. The only person I need to fear is myself making sure I'm doing the right things, making sure that I'm elevating and progressing at the right rate. And um, literally, it's just like, you can call it obsession. I'm obsessed with myself, obsessed with my own progression because at the end of the day, that's what's going to get me some sort of success, not really focusing on another person. Mm. 
Do stick with us. Anthony's going to stick around because I want to get his thoughts on the, the British light heavyweight scene and obviously next weekend's card, Friday night at the Royal Albert Hall, should be an absolute crack. You're listening to Fight Night here on Talk Sport. If they reach, I teach. And if they make a mistake, they have to pay. If you're there to be taken out, or I feel like I can see a shot where I can knock you out, you're going. And he puts him down with the left hand. Lions in the camp. Lions in the camp. Lions in the camp. Oh, that was a good shot, wasn't it, from Yard? Another massive uppercut from Anthony Yard. And is Baranya going to make it through? He's not. The fight is all over with 30 seconds to go in the opening round. And Anthony Yard gate crashes world rankings. I can't sit down and focus on the negativity. I've got only focus on the positive, and, and that's the stage I'm at. I'm, at. I'm at the stage right now that a lot of people want to be at. You listen to Fight Night on Talk Sport. Myself, Adam Catterall, and Gareth Air Davis in the studio as ever. Anthony Yard is with us. We're going to talk about the British light heavyweight scene as well as the world light heavyweight scene in a moment or two. Uh, but for those that don't know, Anthony is uh, a Hackney boy growing up in Hackney. What was that like, my man? Um, you know what? I was born in Hackney. Um, I would like to say I was raised in Stratford, which, again, um, there was one road that took you from Hackney to Stratford. Mm. Um, <laughs> so you got a lot of the Hackney boys coming down to Stratford, etc. But... Um, I was never really involved with gangs, but you couldn't avoid it. Literally, growing up in the area I grew up in, you could not avoid it. Um, you ran into all sorts of type of people. Um, anyone that grew up in them areas around my era would know about it. Even in this era, um, it's getting worse, um, as I'm hearing on the street. So, um, yeah, that was my upbringing. It must be difficult. It must be difficult to avoid, young lad. You know what I mean? Your peer pressure and various things like that. I mean, adolescents have got loads of things to deal with as they're growing up. But then the peer pressure of getting involved in in gang culture must have been very difficult to avoid, mate. You know what, I'm very, I'm like, as they say, um, lions. My my gang is lions in the camp, and that's my, that's my boxing team. I'm a, I like to see myself as a leader. I don't like to see myself as any type of follower. So I believe I knew right from wrong. That's one thing that my mum did teach me growing up. You know right from wrong, you know it's not right to go out there robbing people for no reason. Mm. Um, if you want something, go and get it the hard way, or go and work for it, or go and earn it. Um, robbing people I was never involved in, you know, stabbing people I was never involved in, gang violence I was never involved in. Um, my way of sorting things out was if you had a problem with somebody, it's a one-on-one. -on -one. And again, that's what I do now for a living. <laughs> but, you, but you saw all that and you witnessed all that. Mm. I remember the first interview we ever did way back four or five years ago yes. when you talked about you know, being on a bus and knowing there were 30 gang members on a bus or yes. knowing that there was a group over there and they were all armed with knives. Yes. And that part of your process as a boxer as a fighter as someone that's known in the area and talking about it is you want youngsters to try and follow you don't you most definitely because as i said to all these young kids when they when i see them on the street they got their hands on their trousers <laughs> <laughs> they got the trousers um very very low they, you know they got multiple tracksuits on hiding things etc i just see it as like it's a scare tactic you know a lot of them are scared a lot of them are looking for brotherhood a lot of them looking for parents but um out on the street um older boys you know people that can provide for them or you know or may it may seem as they can provide for them you know you hold this for me i'll give you this you mm. do that for me i'll do that for you so it's just literally that's the gang culture but i always tell these young kids you need you're gonna soon realize when you get older you're gonna have to work hard at something find a passion something that's legal put a lot of passion into it if you want to sell drugs be a salesman 
if you want to go out there and be a gangbanger and be violent, go into boxing. Do it. Mm. Go into something else that's legal and make some make sense of yourself from it. It's an education thing, isn't it? It's giving people that hope as well. Anthony, obviously you're a very strong-minded young man and yeah. you, you, you've obviously always thought that way yourself, but a lot of people don't think like that, do they? And maybe they need that voice, someone that they can look to. There's Anthony Yard on the TV. There's exactly. Anthony Yard, you know what exactly. I mean? The champion or whatever it may be, in order to help guide them down the down the correct paths rather than making those bad choices. Well, definitely. And part of, even when I first started boxing, um, I had a lot of friends who were very similar to me, you know, like man like me, like, laughing and joking. Some of my friends went down the wrong route. Some mm. of my close friends, some friends that I grew up with from when I was very, very young. And I always said to myself, I want to make something of myself. So I always looked at someone like Jay-Z. I say, everyone listens to him. When he says something on the TV or he says yeah. something, everyone listens. But then you see someone in the street in Stratford screaming and preaching. No one's listening to them. So I always saw it as that. When you make something of yourself or you're doing something where people, you know, see you as a role model or whatever, people take notice, people listen. That's it. That single-mindedness will hold you well in this sport, my friend. Absolutely, <laughs> no question definitely. about it. Uh, let's talk like heavyweight, shall we? Um, because it's a thriving scene. On the world scene, we kind of touched upon it. We'll come back to it in a moment or two. Yeah. I personally think it's an extremely competitive division, really deep in talent at the world level. When it comes to the British boys, who do you look at and you think to yourself, yeah, they're, you know, they're, a, they're of a level that probably could go up to the world level? Do you know what? Again, and this is something that um, I mean, no disrespect, and I don't, I don't lie when I say these things. I don't watch any other boxers. I watch the. Um, you watch Boatsy. You're fibbing. I now. don't. You're I do fibbing. Not. I Your swear. sister is grinning. I promise. You're <laughs> fibbing. She's laughing. I don't want to fight with you. <laughs> She's laughing at you your vocabulary. Fibbing. <laughs> <laughs> you no, must watch I'll some of your rivals. You. I'll be honest with you. I do not watch these people. And um, or do you watch him dance then? No, well, no, no, no. I don't know. I'm just trying to. I'm just <laughs> no, trying I'm, to push the point. I'm going point. to explain myself. I'm what's explain the, yeah, what's the reason for it? I'm, why don't you? <laughs> the reason why is because, as, as I said to you earlier, I'm obsessed with self progression, and I cannot progress by watching anybody else. I like that. I like to watch people I that I can like learn that. from. I like watching again, as I said to, said to you before, the Floyd Mavers. I like watching Matt Tyson. They're old historic facts, and mm. I like to learn them to watch from them. Mm. Um, but again, answering your question, as you just said, you mentioned Joshua Boatsy, somebody that I can see going up and you know they're doing their thing and they're coming up in the rankings and that's going to be a big clash in the future if it's going to be anybody that's the right now because again these things always ch um, change the tables always turn one minute it's this person next minute it's that person but um that's something because you know he's got the um the big sponsors as well he's sponsored by nike london i'm a global um ambassador for adidas mm. again that's two things that go together yeah, as well. yeah, he's brilliant. from london i'm from london <laughs> it works South versus, versus East, South, South versus East North. Um, but no gang, no yeah, gang violence. Adam may, <laughs> Adam may not know this about you that yeah. I do. We, here we go now. Here we, here we go, go now. Here, you know You've I love been stalking him. Yeah, You've been yeah. going through his bins Listen, again. Listen, I've been stalking this boy for years. He just doesn't see me. I said, no, that he was our gain from athletics loss. Do you know that, Adam? Do you know oh, this yeah, story? I am aware that he, he yeah. was uh, well, quite decent on the Do you know who track? he really yeah. peed off when he was younger? <laughs> The one and only Tessa Sanderson, yeah. <laughs> and remember when we talked about this, Anthony? Yes, yeah? I, remember, I remember. Tessa Sanderson spotted Anthony as a potential Olympic gold medalist in javelin, long jump, sprinting. I mean, you look at him, he, he's, he's physically awesome. Yeah, he could, you could do it. He could have been, you know, Daley Thompson. What was Catholic. your discipline, Anthony? What was it? Um, they chose me for 100 metres, 200 metres and shot put at the time. Uh, and javelin. Okay. Right. And javelin. No, no. Tessa Sanderson was the javeler. 
she was but, a gold medalist javelin. Did she not get you to throw a javelin? No, no, she never. never. No, okay, she never. I thought she might have got it you was, to do it that. It was shot put. Well. She saw but, my build and yeah. said shot put. But she <laughs> she actually, when she heard you'd quit athletics to go to the gym, she actually came to see you, didn't she? She came to see. She brought me back. Actually, she um she called, she called my mom. <laughs> dragged him back to the <laughs> track. <laughs> Can you imagine her dragging. Him? In fact, Tessa could drag you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She literally um I didn't actually leave. Um, athletics to go and do boxing at the time it was football at the time I've done that's right yeah I've done yeah, a lot yeah. of different sports but um, what stopped me from doing athletics was I had a lot of groin injury mm. uh, and I broke my big toe and then when I again I was out of sport for a bit and then instead of going back to training I said oh, I don't really enjoy athletics I don't really want to do it anymore <laughs> and then um, <laughs> I, I more enjoyed the football aspect of things um, I can't then, do it because I broke my big toe. Now he gets punched in the face for a living. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, come thing. on. That's the thing. I don't get punched. I'll punch people in their face. I'll punch people in their face. That's the right answer. That's the right answer. That's the, that's the, um, that's the aim of the game. Hit and don't get hit. So I'm not looking to get hit anytime soon. I know that's have one of the questions. Have you had a conversation with Tessa since? No, I haven't. Now that you know. you're a pro. I might even I might reach out to her. Um, yeah. Hopefully Wonderful. she remembers me. <laughs> no, but she did say to you, yeah. that you did say to her, no, I'm going to do boxing. And she, she gave you that brilliant advice that you said you'd never forget. She did, know? she did. Um, at the time, it was football I said I was going to go do. But she mm. said to me, she goes, you're very driven. You know, you, you don't like that, that losing thing. You, you want to be the best all the time. She goes, whatever you choose to do, take that same mentality into it. So, um, yeah, she was, she, was, she was supportive in the end. She wanted to know the reason why. She just wanted to make sure it wasn't under the coaches that upset me. She didn't want you to go be a wasted talent. That's what she's she seen other kids go. Yeah. Well, can I just ask Adam? Um, get, it being the Albert Hall, when we were in the break, I, w- I was talking to to Anthony about you know it's the Albert Hall. I've seen people come into time to say goodbye, sang by Bocelli. <laughs> um, and, and I'm I'm just wondering. He's a, he's a lion man. I've he ain't t- coming I've t- into that. I've, I've said to him, <laughs> I, I, but I have said to him, you've got to go and see the Albert Hall before you fight there because it may just take your breath away That's because it's so extraordinary in there. Do you know what? Again, because you said that, then I'm not going to go and check it out okay. beforehand okay. because I, I like want it, it to wow me. It's all come on, come in some great operetta or something. It's all know? preparation for when you reach the big stage. You know, Things are meant to surprise you. It's, all, it's a building block. You know, you've got to build your character slowly. So, um, you know, uh, iconic venue. I've heard about it. You know, if I wanted to, I could go on Google probably and look at the venue. <laughs> so you're going to come in something like Drake at the Albert Hall, or no, 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 no. it won't be Drake Kanye West, or it won't be Kanye. I might come into his little thing that he done. He done this week playing his piano <laughs> and um, the gospel thing. Yeah, I might come nice. out to that. That's, nice. that's the idea. Nice. I've seen I've seen gospel at the Albert Hall because the acoustics in there are so extraordinary. I don't think yeah. it's Anthony's vibe, mate. I don't think it is. I think <laughs> no, it is. It, no, it is. It's every, listen, classic <laughs> class is everybody's vibe. There yeah, you go. Because yeah, it's yeah, a class. Place. It might really come back is. to some jazz. You, know. <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to happen with me. Nice. Slow Listen. jams are coming. That's definitely going to happen in my career. Don't be surprised when <laughs> Anthony Yard walks out to a slow jam. Nice. I'm telling you from nice. that. Don't nice. be surprised. Nice. Mate, every, everybody will be copping off in the uh, in the audience, man. Come, we've come for a fight. <laughs> Listen, all the best. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy fight week. It's going to be a great week. Obviously, this is on Friday night next week, so make sure uh, you're paying attention if you're a fight fan for this. Anthony Yard headlining the bill at the uh, Royal Albert Hall. Can't I've wait. Got, I've just got a funny feeling this year is going to be a big year mm. for you, mate, especially with that that WBO mandatory just looming, yes. getting called for that. That should be an absolute cracker. So all the best with it, mate, and we'll uh, we'll keep we'll keep tabs on you. All right, pal? Thank you, thank you. Top man. Uh, Anthony Yard in the studio there. We, the guests haven't stopped. Stick with us. Me and Gareth is uh, sticking around. Johnny Garton's going to be joining us, the British welterweight champion. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Fight Night. And the referee looking very closely at Gary Corcoran, one of the hardest fighters. 
fighting men in the game that that fight has been taken out to him by Gong. And the left hook ends it. It's all over. Corcoran doesn't like it. But Johnny Garton is the British champion. And what a performance and what a fight. Yeah, I knew I could beat him. Uh, and I knew he was going to be favourite. He's boxed for the world title. He's, he's probably put better people than me. But I knew I could beat him. And he'd have to carry me out of that ring. Johnny Garton, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Can I just say, um, before we get stuck into any conversation about next weekend and your career and what have you, thank you for that fight that was just there in the uh, in the background there, the little uh, anomaly of the fight with Corcoran. What an absolute screamer that was. Yeah, it was a good night. I enjoyed it myself, to be honest. Always Seen a been... few good fights in the Brentwood uh, in the Brentwood area. <laughs> I remember uh, um, Tyson Fury fighting... Um, John McDermott there as well, mm. actually. That was at um, yeah, that yeah. was at Brentford, uh, yeah. Brentwood. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those places where um, it's just outside London. It's always volatile. You've got one side of the... They've got a few seats on one side, and then you've got the bank on the other side. It, it's, yeah. So you get the wall of sound. Yeah. Kind of, it's, it's like the uh, Three Arena in Dublin, where you've got a tiny little bit behind the ring or, or the octagon or fighting arenas. So all the sound reverberates around. What an atmosphere that night for that yeah, fight. Yeah, uh, I've been there a few times to watch boxing, and that was the first time I actually fought there. And uh, yeah, I was a bit blown away with the atmosphere and how loud it was. And There's a lot of fights in the car park outside normally as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, Johnny, Johnny, your fight were like one of them in the car park, mate. It would sort of talk, weren't it? Yeah, it was, it was a good scrap. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I tell you what, the Pexican, the Pexican tonight mm. with the beard on, because mm. oh, the, the beard's good. No, I like it, the beard and longer hair. I can't stand it. It drives yeah, me mad. Come on, t- t- for the listeners, those in their car driving home don't normally listen to boxing. But what? Why are you called the Pexican? Uh, well, I'm from Peckham, and <laughs> I've got a bit of a come forward, aggressive style. And when I was in the ABAs as an amateur, one of my mates just put on Facebook, "Come and watch." Uh, the boy from Peckham, he fights like a Mexican. A Mexican, and you really mm. do. I mean, you don't, um, you, you, where, where does that come from that you can't take a backward step? Uh, I think I'm starting to take a backward step there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you yeah, know, it's just as an amateur, you know, I went to the gym, I didn't start boxing until I was 18, and uh, I just went to the uh, gym to keep fit and lose a bit of weight, and I got offered sparring, and I, just, I was just a kid fighting in the pubs and things like that. And then, so my natural instinct was just keep keep going forward, and then it's just gone from there, really. That's why the fans love it. Have you do you have any um, fondness for any of the Mexican fighters? I mean, the 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 belters that we've had down the years, the Morales and the Barrellas, and all those types of guy, guys that we've had down the years. Are you fans of those guys? Yeah, well, Barrera's my favourite fighter. He's yeah. my all-time favourite fighter, and then my British uh, favourite is probably Nigel Ben. But um, yeah, then Mex- I love watching Mexicans fight. You bet. You've got a nice little blend there, Nigel Ben and uh, and Barrera. That uh, it doesn't get better than that, mate. Uh, talk to me about um, the opportunity to fight at the Royal Albert Hall. What an amazing, amazing venue. Yeah, um, I can't believe it's actually happening there. I, I, I think the last show was about five or six years ago. Yeah, that's and, right, yeah. Um, lucky enough, I was there because um, two of my teammates was on it, um, Sam Webb and Bradley Skeet. And uh, I remember when I got there, it's the first time I've ever been to the Albert Hall, and uh, it's an amazing venue. And so when they said, ah, oh, you'll fight, they gave me a date, but they didn't tell me a venue. And then a week or two later, they said, oh, it's the Albert Hall. I was a bit uh, blown away, and yeah, I can't wait to get in there. Must make it even more special that you'll be walking to the ring second as the champion as well. 
Yeah, I, I don't really think about that too much, to be honest. I just, I just <laughs> I get would. on with my job. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding, obviously, the Lonsdale belt, because now winning that fight against uh, Corcoran, you are the British champion. Is the plan to defend it three times in order to win it outright? Yeah, I would love to, but um, I've also said I, I want to try and cash in some money now. Uh, I'm 31. I know I haven't got much longer because, as you, as you know, I'm always in a tough fight. And uh, all my career, I've been on non-TV shows. I've not earned no money, so I need to cash in some money while I can. So if I get offered a bigger opportunity, I'll jump at the chance. But my main aim is to win the uh, belt outright. It's a bonnie belt, that, isn't it, Gareth? It's probably one of the best belts, the Lonsdale belt, mate, out of them all. Well, it's very special. And, and, and the thing is with, with Johnny... Um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying so. He, he's he's a late developer in some ways, yeah, and definitely. you know the, the 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 only defeat on his record to Sam Eggington. When was that? That was a long time ago, five years ago, five nearly years ago, now. Yeah. Coming up five years. People like Johnny, who, like you said, he wasn't. Um, he's obviously a natural fighter, as he mentioned. Though he's fighting people in the pubs, he, he, he you know he, he's someone who won't back down. It's simple as that. You know he's 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 fr he's from Millwall. He's he's a, it's a very tough area. Um, people, you know, are quite working class. They stand up for themselves, don't they? And you're one of those yeah. guys, you know. And 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 through your boxing career, you haven't always you haven't won an Olympic gold, and you've you've moved up to this stage, and your fan base has grown. So to win the Lonsdale belt is the first sign of probably you taking that home and saying, do you know what, I've got deep self-belief in myself where I can go with this now. Is that fair? Yeah, um, I think anyone in the gym would tell you, I, I know, I'm not even the best boxer in my gym, uh, but uh, <laughs> the one thing I do, if, if someone does 10 push-ups, I'll do 12. If someone beats me in a sprint, I'll make sure I beat them next time. I'm very competitive and... Uh, I always think I've got to outwork someone, so that is my drive. I, I always want to be the best, and uh, whether it's anything. And Al, my coach, always tells me off because he says you you push yourself too hard all the time. And as I said a minute ago, I'm not getting no younger. And he said, obviously, the older you get, you need to. Ease 31 now, no? Yeah, mm -hmm. he said so you need to ease back a bit and let the body recover. But that's just my personality. If you know, I know I'm not, I know I'm not uh, the best gifted, so I think hard work will get me there. You've got a massive set of conkers as well, mate. That we've uh, <laughs> we've obviously seen in a couple of fights, uh, uh, none more so than in the uh, in the Corcoran fight. Uh, Gareth, regarding the British welterweight scene, there's some serious talent here, isn't there? I mean, I know that uh, uh, Johnny is the champ, and he's just mentioned a couple of uh, his his stable mates there. I know that uh, Bradley's one of those guys who held this belt for a period of time. It's a it's a really competitive division, and there's some. I know that Johnny was just speaking there about career and cashing in and getting some decent paydays and what have you. But I think they're in this division. I think there's some decent enough names there in order to, for him to be able to defend his belt and win this outright and make money at the same time. Well, I think £147 is one of those weight divisions where, I, I say a normal-sized man, a man of 5'10", 5 5'11", 5 yeah. if he looks after himself, can stay at that weight till mid-30s. Yeah. Um, whereas you can't with featherweight, super featherweight, as we've seen with Carl mm. Frampton and Lee Selby recently. Lee Selby moving all the way up to lightweight and still struggling physically last weekend. He looked yeah. like there was no snap there. Um, and I think for, for, for Johnny, if Johnny can hold on to this... You know, he's never going to fight Amir Khan, for example. I mean, that's not going to happen, is it? Nah. You know? Nah. I mean, if Terence Crawford gets injured, as like you say, I'll step in. That won't yeah, be a problem. Yeah, You'll yeah. do Medicine yeah. Square Garden on, so on April the 20th. Some money it but, made in, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but the, the, I think it's always been a very rich division. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
for, for, and that's why I think it probably means so much to win the Lonsdale belt outright, you know, because it's it's what Ricky Hatton's been in that division. Obviously, he was at 140, 147. We've had a long, an Amir Khan following after him. We've had a long line of very successful boxers in the division. I mean, as you say, at the moment, people like Bradley and so on, there's lots of fights out there for you. I mean, you could keep happily fighting like four times a year for the next five years, couldn't you? If you wanted to. I don't know about five years, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm quite happy to fight regularly, and I'd like to fight regularly because I'm always in the gym anyway. So I might as well be fighting. Uh, I say this all the time. I don't think boxers box enough now. They mm. only box two or three times a year. Where mm. if you look when say Sugar Ray and what it's about, they was fighting every other month, and um, they well, had great fights. Um, you know, kind of um, Jake Lamotta and all those guys. You know, yeah. Sugar Ray Robinson. Those guys were literally fighting, like you say, sometimes three times in a month they yeah. fought you know um i i the trouble is once we know the damage it can cause you and that if you do get some form of concussion that yeah. you need to step away for a while i don't know whether it's right or not we still don't know whether the science is right they didn't know then and it's like yeah, the, the, the three times a month's a bit much but uh <laughs> i think you can cram in four maybe five fights a year Maybe Listen, you've got two. mortgage to pay. <laughs> you've got you've got to get them fights in, haven't you? That, that's exactly it. You know, I, I need to make some money and put some food on, uh, my, uh, food on the table for my family. So, um, mm. yeah, you, you have know, children, I mean, then, yeah. I have a little girl now. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah, that's more motivation, though, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, there's always something to push up, but um, mine is just to be the best of what I can be. Would you ever look at some? Um, kind of getting hold of Delboy Trotter's cars and all that. Can I remember Ricky Hatton <laughs> as another welterweight? He bought the um he bought Delboy's car yeah. at one point, didn't he? Are I you bet. a fan of all that and that culture? Yeah, I, and... I love all that, you know, especially being from Peckham and seeing you know, whenever you see people they always go, Ah, oh, Delboy or Derek Trotter <laughs> or where'd you live Mandela ass and think but um <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think if you're from Pete, you're going to love all that sort of stuff. But um, I think he's a bit too flashy for me. I think I'd like to sound a bit more laid back and quiet. Do stick with us. Um, Johnny's going to stick around in the studio, get his thoughts on the uh, the welterweight scene and obviously this big card that's coming up next weekend at the Royal Albert Hall, which is, uh, he's involved in and he's defending his uh, his welterweight crown, his British title there. Uh, you listen to Fight Night on Talk Sport. Welcome to the jungle. You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Adam Catterall, Gareth A. Davis alongside me. If you've missed any part of the show, you can download the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the foy. It's available for you as and when you have a spare moment or two to catch up on everything that we've been speaking about in the three hours on a Saturday night. Uh, Johnny Garton is with us, the British welterweight champion. He's fighting next Friday night at the Royal Albert Hall. Just want to get your thoughts, Johnny, on the, uh, on the welterweight scene uh, in general. We'll go to the world level first, shall we? Because in a couple of weeks... Uh, Errol Spence Jr. is defending his crown against Mikey Garcia, who's stepping up a couple of weights there. How do you see that fight going, mate? I'm a massive Garcia fan. Mm. I've I've, uh, I've watched him for years on uh, YouTube. Uh, I don't know if you've heard Ellie Setback. Mm. I know Ellie. Yeah. yeah, he's always as I've watched. He's always mad. In their Ellie gym. Setback. That's it, yeah, he's always yeah. in their gym with uh, the um, IFL of America, isn't he? That's it. Yeah, mm. yeah. doing things with like um, Garcia and Rios, and so I'm big fans of his. But uh, I just think it's too much of a big jump, and Spence is he's saying else, isn't he? He is, and size-wise, when you saw them actually at the original press conference, just size-wise, he's just massive. He, he absolutely dwarfs 
Garcia. Now, don't get me wrong, Garcia will no, no doubt make the weight and he'll make the weight well. But he just seems too big, too long, too rangy. And I've, I just, like you, think that that task is maybe just a jump too far. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a jump too far, but fair play to him for taking Oh, yeah, it. absolutely. Here's the thing about Mikey. I, I, I was quite disappointed in the last performance. Um, who was it against? Um, Robert Easter Jr. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. think he looked as good as I'd seen him uh, recently. And I thought, I, I think Mikey will be... You'll you'll know this, John. He'll give everything in this fight. Yeah. Errol Spence. The problem is Adam as well. He's 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 a very crafty southpaw. He's very broad. The shoulders are big. Yeah. Powerful legs. As we saw against Cal Brook, he takes his time. He's so adept in the ring. Yeah. He, he busts people up. We we've we heard it first of all that he was giving Mayweather problems in his gym. You, did you hear these rumors, John? Yeah. 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 No. He sparred with Mayweather, and the rumors that you know this is gym rumors, but Floyd has never. Um, kind of denied this he really did did give Floyd proper yeah. problems because his timing's so special and we saw that against Cal Brook I thought in Sheffield yeah. that night when he busted his orbital socket um, and I think that's going to be the danger for Mikey he's very game thick neck big head coming up from lightweight to be honest um, uh, that's, that's an insult that isn't no, it no, 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 thick no, neck no, no. big head listen who doesn't want to have a thick neck and a big head around here tonight at 8.19 on a Saturday night because I do when I leave here I want a thick neck and a big head <laughs> <laughs> and come and join me wherever you are <laughs> how can that be an insult <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, who's your, who's the man for you at, at one four seven on the world level? Uh, I think he's either Spence, yeah, Spence or Crawford. I'd say I think they're the two you got to watch out for. That's, that's but who fight. wins out of those two then? That's oh, the that's fight that's got to happen. Yeah. Split draw, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 I've, I've gone. For, I was asked by Thomas Hauser, Adam. Yeah, um, Johnny, um, you know, I just do this kind of graph on the, you know, Keith Thurman. You know, who are the top ones at the moment? There we got Keith Thurman. Sean Porter, Errol Spence, Terence Crawford, um, maybe Mikey Garcia, maybe Manny Pacquiao as well. If I missed one out, Sean Porter, but uh, what, uh, Keith Thurman. No, who, uh, who have I missed out? Danny Garcia, all. but he's already been beat by. But Danny yeah. Garcia as well. Yeah. But Danny, but this was about six months ago, and there was a graph of who fights who and when. And to be honest, the the whole graph came out with about six or seven boxing observers and writers from around the world, it came out as a draw between yeah. Crawford and Spence as the top two the in the division. The only thing I think with Spence, where he's always been at welterweight, he's got that little bit of, he's got that bit of the edge. But, um, yes. Because Crawford's yeah. come up from lightweight yeah. as well, yeah. But, yeah. but Crawford is special. Crawford, yeah. just, I've never seen anybody be able to switch like he does. It's unbelievable the way that you don't, you can't tell what his natural side is because he's as accurate a southpaw as he is orthodox and he hits as hard southpaw as he does orthodox I actually think he hits harder with his left hand than he does with his right hand I mean the guy's unbelievable yeah well when he boxes and he does change southpaw when he goes southpaw you know you're in trouble (laughs) (laughs) well here's the thing he's good enough to be able to start the first half of the fight southpaw with with Spence who doesn't switch as much does he you know but um yeah, I mean, I do. I've got a tiny, tiny edge towards Spence, but I kind of want Crawford to win because he's come up. Yeah. Um, I, I do think if he comes up and he wins that, by the way, if they fight, I think he goes to number one pound for pound. He has yeah. to. You know, yeah, oh, above well. Vazel and and Canelo and all these other guys. You know. Yeah. Johnny, how, yeah. How, Johnny, how do you see Amir Khan getting on on April twentieth? It's a tough fight. Terence Crawford, obviously, the man that he's fighting on that. Yeah, I think he. 
I think he wins the early rounds, maybe up to the third. And then I think once he gets it by a Crawford clean, this game over. Similar to the Canelo fight then is uh, how you're seeing it go. Because he looked good. Early doors in that, he was winning rounds, wasn't he? And then all of a sudden the bomb came and he, over he went. Yeah, and uh, Khan, he's got incredible hand speed. He throws a lot of punches. He starts fast. Whereas Crawford, he's, he's, he starts a bit slow. It takes him two or three rounds to work you out. He takes his time to figure you out. But once he does, that's when you're in trouble. Uh, do we believe, though, gents, that... that I've been I've just been over to see Amir Khan. I don't know if we've got any audio of him tonight. Uh, um, no, no, says the producer. <laughs> no, says the editor. But I've been over to see Amir recently, and he looks fabulous. He really is a man now, if you, if you know what I mean. But he always um, looks in good shape. Yeah, he yeah. did. And, and yeah. he's back with Virgil Hunter, who's over his illness, thank God. Um, and, you know, Amir said, I just want to have one more special performance in me, and that's all I want to do. I want to, yeah. But I do think it's his last stand. Mm. I really do. It'll be a great night in Madison Square Garden. So with, that, with what you're saying then, with that, you're saying that we will never see Amir Khan versus Kelbrook? I'm Is that saying, what you're saying that. Gareth? I'm, yeah. yeah, Amir Khan does not care whether he ever fights Kelbrook. Do you think he's kind of thought? Do you know what? Why do no, I not want? No, not at all. Does Johnny think um, that? I just, I think some of them fights. So I don't think you're going to see Amir Khan, Kelbrook. I don't, I don't think you're going to see AJ and uh, the Gypsy King. I just, I just really, don't see. Yeah. Really, honestly, don't. Yeah. Oh, there's, but there's hundreds of millions of dollars and pounds in that yeah. heavyweight fight. But there's always something that stops it. When if it was going to happen, it'd happen. You know I'm with, I, listen, I'm with you, Johnny. You know, I think there's been a perfect opportunity regarding the heavyweights. There was a perfect opportunity to make monster fights at the back end of last year. It didn't necessarily pan out. Yeah. I think that we, we we might get lucky, but I don't think we're going to get it this year. We might get it in 2020 or maybe even later than that. Um, but regarding Amir Khan and Kel Brook, I can't see it. I just can't see that fight happening. I really can't. No, I, I don't. And as you said, I think after this, especially if he gets stopped, I think it's game over for him. Yeah, right. no, I think it is. I, 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 sitting with Amir, here's what he told me. Um, this is the fight that I wanted with either Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather because Terence Crawford's ranked in the top three pound for pound in the world. Mm -hmm. um, if I win this, I want to chase Manny Pacquiao for a fight before I fight yeah. Kelbrook. The Kelbrook fights out there all the time because Kel's desperate to fight Amir. But Amir's not bothered because if he does get knocked out by Kelbrook, rather like Carl Froch and George Groves, he'll never hear the end of it. No, <laughs> and, and that, but, that, but, but, you know, you listen. It's true. You, explain this to us. You're a fighting man, okay? You don't want to be told every time you get out of bed by your worst enemy for the next 10 years that he punched you into oblivion, do you? No. In front always, of your daughter. And and it will always come up in the media at some point, so... Yeah, it's one of them things you never get away from it. And your little girl's going to school and, and they're saying, oh, your dad got knocked. It, it, it has an effect. No, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, no, it's true. No, yeah. it's, it's yeah, true. It's true yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. It, it has an effect on a man, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I've not had that uh, thing yet, so I can't tell you how much. But yeah, I can imagine it would have a massive effect on him. Yeah, definitely. So regarding yourself, John, obviously you're uh, fighting next Friday night at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, you come through that. That's one defence. I alluded earlier on that... Would you want to go down the route of uh, defending on three occasions? But you were talking about the big fights, the opportunities to fight on the biggest, the biggest nights for the biggest paycheck. So you must have some names in mind. You must have some targets in mind in order to uh, to make that happen. Uh, well, to be honest, I think I, I will. Hopefully, if I come through uh, Friday night, I have to fight um, Liam Taylor. He's been made mandatory, mm. and that's got to happen by June, by the end of June. So chance I will have to take that fight. 
But um, yeah, if a European title gets put on the line or something, I'll be more than happy to take the chance. Do you not have an issue, though, yourself sitting there holding the belt with Conor Ben being number six in the WBA, for example? I don't really uh, think about that or let it bother me, to be honest. Is that another fight out there that you'd like? Well, he has called me out and, as a, yeah, he's a, that's a massive payday, isn't it? And uh, mm, mm. to be honest, I think a very winnable fight. Mm. Um, I've met Conor, he's a nice kid. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a very winnable fight. So you're um, calling him out tonight yourself on TalkSport, yeah? I've already said, <laughs> listen, if there's no point putting anything on social I'm not one of these people who do that social media. Let's do it live on the radio, yeah. then. Yeah, if you want to do it, get in touch with Frank Warren. <laughs> make it happen. There's no point putting things on social media yeah. and screaming, listen, get in touch with my management, let's make the fight happen. It's a great fight. That's yeah, a great fight. You come forward, fight, he yeah. comes forward. For the fans, that's an absolute banger. Yeah, definitely, it would be a great fight. And we, we actually, he, he messaged me on uh, Instagram and said about it, and I said it'd be an incredible fight, and I think it should happen, and hopefully it does happen. But um, I'd like know. to see you against Josecito Lopez as well. You know him, he comes forward. and Yeah. yeah. Imagine you and him going at it. Yeah. Okay, why, you, why, 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 why are you trying to shorten Johnny's career? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> trying to shorten his career. You are, you're the, putting the, him in wars, you the, know what I mean? These take years <laughs> off a man's career, what are you doing? This man's here for war, I tell you. <laughs> He's the Pexican, remember? That's right, that's right. Indeed. You know, don't be a plonker. He'll be wearing his whistle and flute next Friday night to the Albert Hall. That's it, trying to Won't you? You'll arrive there in your whistle and flute, won't you? That's it, yeah, definitely. You've got to get the gear on. Listen, Johnny, thank you so much for coming Absolutely, in this evening. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing you do your thing next Friday night. And then, obviously, the plan for the, the remainder of 2019 looks quite appetising as the British welterweight champion. Once you've got a target on your back, everybody wants a piece of it, as I'm sure you're finding out anyway. Yeah, that's uh, what I like about it. <laughs> everybody's calling you out, mate. So good luck with it, and we'll uh, hopefully be speaking to you again in the not-too-distant future. Uh, you're listening to um, Talk Sport. This is Fight Night. Do stick around. There's lots to get through. James DeGale retired this week. We'll be speaking about him very shortly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I 
listening to Fight Night on Talk Sport with me, Adam Catterall, Gareth A. Davis, alongside me. If you've missed any part of the show so far, please subscribe to the podcast. It will all be there for you, so you can get stuck into all our guests uh, this evening and what they have to say. And our next one is illustrious. This man knows. I'll tell you something, he's forgot more about boxing than I've ever even known. Correct. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is. And me. It is the head of Top Rank Boxing, the one and only Mr. Bob Aaron. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Good, it's a pleasure to be on. Good evening, Great. Bob. Great to have you. Um, Bob, I want to start, obviously, with uh, Tyson Fury, if I may. Um, please tell us how it comes about that uh, you and uh, the television company ESPN have signed uh, the Gypsy King to a broadcast deal over in uh, the United States. Well, first, I have to go back to the fact that, uh, you know, the, the promoters in the UK, whether it's... Uh, uh, Eddie Hearn or Frank Warren have done a very, very good job promoting boxing in the UK. Uh, great gates, uh, uh, great interest in television. However, when it comes to the heavyweights and it comes to uh, big attractions, it is essential uh, that the U.S. market uh, is where uh, the big money is. And that's not necessarily because uh, of the interest in the sport because the interest in the sport is at a tremendously high level in the UK. But I mean, we have because of pay-per-view and because of our population, uh, the ability to really uh, turn tremendous money uh, into the sport and ESPN uh, with our deal last year realized that there was a great, great, uh, chance uh, to monetize the sport, uh, to make it uh, much more friend friendly, and to get more fans. But when it came to the heavyweight division, uh, the problem was that there was really no heavyweights known uh, as the way they should be known, as the way they were known in the United States. That two. Uh, we had uh, Anthony Joshua, terrific fighter, but his fights were all in the UK. And when they were sent over to the United States, because of the difference in time, it was the afternoon. Mm. And people were watching American football or other sports. Very, very small audience. Uh, Wilder, who was an American and is, has a great personality, a terrific young man, he was underpromoted because he was on Showtime, which was a premium uh, cable network, which had a fraction, small fraction, of the number of homes that watch in the United States on free television. And therefore, he wasn't uh, getting the awareness uh, that uh, should have been his due. And then when Tyson Fury came on the scene and... Uh, challenged uh, Wilder, and they did that fight in the United States, uh, people at ESPN and our company realized that Fury had this out-of-world personality. Uh, he could be a major, major character and star, and if he could be built up into a pay-per-view uh, star, instead of uh, uh, just relying, as has been the case, on the UK television revenue, you'd be opening up maybe as much as 100 
or 150 million U.S. dollars to the pot. And therefore, it was worth taking that chance uh, with Tyson Fury because we believe he can be built into superstardom in the United States. And if we're able to accomplish that, it will, I think, a wilder and certainly Anthony Joshua. And indeed, Eddie realizes some of that. And he's having Joshua come over to New York, I think, on June 1st uh, to fight Miller uh, on uh, his uh, zone streaming platform. Uh, And he hopes in that way uh, to popularize the image of Joshua. Uh, He may have been successful, but at least he's attempting. Oh, we just lost there, Bob. But. Well, I'm sure we'll get him back. Let's try and get him back because that was really good. It was. I've got a couple of pressing questions for Bob now. He's had his two-minute monologue. (laughs) Um, No, but no. Here's from a business point of view, he does make a lot of sense, though. No, no, he does. He does. But there's there's two salient questions that need to be asked of him now. In the light of the Deontay Wilder, we're going to speak to Shelley Finkel in an hour. Remember, in the light of the Deontay Wilder comments. We've got um, Bob back, Gary. Okay. We've got Bob back. Bob, Go Bob, Bob um, thank you so much for the explanation of all of that. Um, Adam and I were just saying on air, it makes absolute lucid sense what you're saying. But it begs two questions now. In the light of what Deontay Wilde has been saying in the last kind of 24 hours, that he's obviously going to probably fight his mandatory challenger now, most likely Dominic Brazil next. Um what, who do you put Tyson Fury in with in the interim? Because it looks like you, you've said that you want to get Wilder and Fury together in the fall. How doable is that? And who will you, what kind of level of opponent do you keep everyone happy with by putting Tyson Fury with in the meantime? I don't want to keep anybody happy with anything. I just want to uh, Tyson Fury in a fight in the United States against somebody uh, that we will... Kubrat uh, Pulev? Um, um, Pulev. They're all possibilities, but they're all they're just a step in the way. You're missing the big picture. The big picture is to get the ESPN microphone, megaphone, mm. behind Fury mm. and let the people know what an extraordinary back, extraordinary backstory he yep. has, yep. How, how, what, a, what a great... He's, he is the best personality that I've seen in heavyweight boxing since Ali. Amazing. You know, Amazing. I'm not talking about ability in the ring. I'm talking about somebody who will make people listen, pay attention, and care. And therefore, he has that type of, uh, of charisma that we're going to capitalize on. But do you not think and the fans want the fight to happen? They've waited long enough for, you know, Joshua not is, to fight who is, Wilder. Who is, well, who, well, who is the fans? The fans who care about Joshua fighting Wilder, right, are, and they're very important, uh, they're boxing fans in the UK. But fans in the United States couldn't give two damn about Joshua fighting Wilder. They don't care about the heavyweight division. All the heavyweights used to be U.S. fighters. They're now playing in the NBA and the National Football League, the Pro Football League. They're not going into boxing. 
there is a lack of interest in heavyweight boxing in the United States, as witnessed by the fact that in a vast country of like the United States, where the uh, uh, number of pay-per-view uh, can potentially reach 110 million homes, uh, the Tyson uh, Wilder fight barely did 325,000 homes. That is awful. Manny Pacquiao, in his prime, did over a million homes in the United States. When Mayweather and Pacquiao fought, they did close to five uh, million homes. Mm -hmm. This is ludicrous to say, hey, the fans want this and the fans want that, and 325,000 homes by Wilder and uh, and uh, Fury. But did we wait too I mean, long in the end, Bob, for Mayweather against Pacquiao? Wait too long. It'll happen when the money is there. These guys are going to get one crack at the apple to make, or maybe two, to make big money. And mm. if Wilder has his fight uh, in May, and Fury has his fight in June with the with the microphone of uh, of ESPN, uh, believe me, you're going to get multiples of 325,000 homes when they fight each other. And then if Eddie is successful with Joshua fighting, uh, fighting Miller, uh, then Joshua fits into the mix and Fury against Joshua or Joshua against Wilder would be huge fights in the United States where the money is. Mm. Let's, I mean, again, I don't want to make this into an economic class, but it really all comes down to economics. Regarding the Deontay Wilder fight for Tyson Fury, which we, we were led to believe was really, really close until obviously uh, the last couple of weeks, do you is your gut feeling, Bob, that we will get to see the rematch between Fury, between Wilder at some point this year? Absolutely, absolutely. Fury is going to be extraordinarily well-known after he does this fight in the United States. You have to understand what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with ESPN, which is an all-sports channel, 24 hours a day, seven different channels, hitting the public on their various programs and so forth, uh, about uh, sports. That's why they've been able to popularize so many great American athletes like uh, LeBron James. I'm not saying they wouldn't be popular without ESPN, but they're extraordinarily well-known because of ESPN. Tyson Fury will not be able to walk down the streets in the United States without being in, uh, uh, encountered for hundreds and hundreds of pictures and autographs, probably like he is in the United Kingdom. Now, once we accomplish that, we're at least halfway or maybe over halfway through. The real problem I have as far as Wilder is concerned is not that Wilder isn't a great personality because he is. He's very funny. He's a nice, nice young man uh, and a very good athlete. But if he's going to be on Showtime, nobody watches Showtime for boxing. They have maybe 
20 million homes subscribe to Showtime, most of whom subscribe to Showtime because of Showtime's entertainment. It's the same thing that HBO realized when they disbanded their boxing division. They didn't need it to sell entertainment. You don't have the, the microphone at Showtime anywhere near that you have in, uh, on ESPN or you have on uh, Sky or BT in the United Kingdom. That is the thing that Shelley Finkel can talk about a million percent, but he doesn't understand or doesn't want to understand. Bob, um, final question from us for you tonight. Um, listen, I, I mean, I've, I've loved working with you for years and I, I'm delighted to see you finally back working with the very top heavyweights. You know, Hagler, Hearns, Ali, Pacquiao, your career does not lie. But fantastically, you're also working with us March the 17th, Michael Conlon, the Irishman. Uh, April the 12th, Anthony Crawler against Vasyl Lomachenko. April the 20th, Amir Khan, Terence Crawford. You just can't stay away from the Brits and the Irish, can you? Well, <laughs> isn't, isn't that a compliment to the Brits and the Irish? Absolutely it is. <laughs> Why can't we stay away from that? Because they're producing great talent. It's a major sport in the United Kingdom and Ireland, uh, and therefore are producing really interesting talent. Uh, most of their fight, your, your fighters have good personalities that play well in the U.S. market. And you're damn right we are looking to showcase uh, guys from the, the U.K. and Ireland. It's a great Indeed, season coming up, back. isn't it, Bob? It's a great season yeah. coming up. Yeah, I, did, I just came back from uh, my guys. Well, we're in Macau. We met with the MTK Global people. They have, including Conlon and Tyson Fury, Manage a lot of very, very good talent, uh, and we're talking to them about two things. One, uh, televising some of their talent uh, who will be fighting uh, in the United Kingdom and Ireland, televising it back to the United States uh, on a weekend afternoon. And two, bringing over that talent under their auspices and having that talent fight in the United States. It's a big, big world. And thanks to the great technology we have, we have the ability to do that, which to some extent we weren't able to in the past. Bob, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Uh, hopefully we will uh, see you soon uh, ringside at one of the big top-ranked shows that are coming up. You listen to Fight Night oh. here on TalkSport. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Hall of Fame. Now, every week on Fight Night, 
we try our best to stick something into our unique Hall of Fame. It could be a fighter, it could be a fight, it could be someone connected to fight sports. We've even had fans uh, put into our Hall of Fame, those that used to follow Ricky Hatton all over the world uh, for those big, epic nights, uh, the ones especially in Las Vegas. Uh, now, tonight, <clears throat> this is quite um, a personal one to me, Gareth, uh, because yeah, yeah. 30 years ago, mm -hmm. um, Mr Frank Bruno mm -hmm. took on Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. In the United States, 25th of February 1989 is when it happened, all right? So 30 years ago this week. This is my first boxing memory. I was eight years of age. I'm sorry for uh, dating myself here, mate, but I was eight years of age. We didn't have um, a certain broadcaster at Catterall Towers then, living on the old council estate. So my dad, um, who was looking after me and my sister that particular night because my mum had gone out with her mates, decided to uh, take the kids in the car to his brother's house, my uncles, who did have this particular channel, and uh, we ended up sleeping there for the night. And because, obviously, it was a bit of a weird house, I couldn't sleep, and my dad allowed me to come downstairs and watch uh, the fight between Mike Tyson and Frank Bruno, and I was absolutely captivated from the very first moment. Because if you remember, within 20 seconds, 25 seconds, Mike Tyson's got Frank Bruno going. Yeah, I mean, it was an extra... But even, even just before that... You know, this fight had been cancelled five times, Adam. Just to take it back over a bit of the history of it. Uh, con contractual issues around uh, Mike Tyson. He'd been eight, out of the ring eight months. Bruno had been out of the ring 16 months at the mm. time. People forget that. There'd been a car crash, a divorce, and injuries sustained in a street fight. Okay? These, this was just the backdrop to this. I was in Beijing at the time, by the way. Um, and we were trying to get. I remember racing around trying to get. How could I get hold of a of a of a transcript or a or a or a, or a stream? Or I didn't manage to. I was trying to get hold of some radio broadcast from somewhere. As I say, I was in Beijing. I just um, graduated from university. Thirty years ago is a very long time ago. <laughs> and, and and like you say, you were an eight year old. I mm. just graduated from uni, and. It was a massive occasion. And, you know, this was a fight in which Frank Bruno, frankly, in 1989, was probably the biggest sports star in the UK. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, 100%. You know? um, I knew who he was, but without knowing what he did at eight years of age, if that yeah. makes sense. Because he was on, like, the, the question of sports shows. He was on all the talk shows. He yeah. was always on Wargan and various things yeah. like that. So he, yeah. was, he would always be prevalent in my living room, but I didn't necessarily know what he did. Well, his two daughters appeared on Wogan's show, I think on the Friday or the Saturday night, on Terry Wogan's show, to to publicise the bout as well. He earned two million for it. Tyson, I believe, earned about six that night. A lot of money back then, of course. Among the celebrities, 10,000 at the Las Vegas Hilton, okay? Schwarzenegger. I don't need, they don't need surnames. Stallone. <laughs> Ali. Ray Leonard. Sting. That's his first name, isn't it? Mm. But it's his first and his last name, isn't it? Sting. We all mm. know who Sting is. Um, Brosnan. Bon Jovi. Vandross. Houston. I mean, it was a major, major night. Terry Lawless was the very famous manager of Frank Bruno. Ian Dark, friend of ours, mm. um, was commentating. Um, you know, he a brilliant commentator on boxing back in the day. Um, no one really gave Frank much of a chance. Um, and like you say, 12 seconds mm. had elapsed and... Bruno was crashed to the canvas near the ropes. 
that version of Mike Tyson at that age, that period of time, that's the greatest I've ever seen. In, in, in all weight divisions, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've lived through the time of Roy Jones Jr. who absolutely enthralled me, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, all these fighters. Just the just the sheer ferociousness. Maybe I'm looking at this with maybe rose-tinted glasses. No, you're not, Adam, you're not, you're not. He just was, that period there, between he, the age of 19 to 21, I just thought he was outstanding. Wrecking ball. He he was 22 years of age Around at the that, time. Yeah, yeah, there you go. He was 22. Absolute wrecking ball. Fearless, um, ferocious... Um, a fighter to fear, basically. And mm. that's what Frank Brun had in front of him. He had this wrecking ball moving so fast in front of him. And, and there's n there wasn't a lot he could do about it. But, of course, he made the commentators very excited because Bruno fought back, didn't he? Well, well that's it. One of the one of my lasting memories of this is obviously being an eight-year-old lad on my uncle's sofa whilst my, my dad and my uncle were captivated by the fight in front of me. And I was as well, but they knew obviously a lot more about fight sports than I did at that particular time. And I just remember obviously seeing Frank in the first round and thinking, blimey, heck, this guy's getting absolutely mauled but by But he this. rocked Tyson as well absolutely. once, didn't he? So, absolutely. You know. But in the second round, when the second round gets going... He had him going. Yeah, I, he, he did have him going, and I've watched it back on several occasions yeah. since, and he most certainly did have him going. And I just remember my uncle and my dad jumping out their seats thinking that he was going to pull off this fantastic underdog story beating this ferocious fighter from America, but it wasn't to be. He ended up uh, getting stopped uh, in the fifth round of that particular fight, didn't he? So Referee Richard Steele stepped in. He'd seen enough, hadn't he? Yeah. You know? Well, and rightfully so, because Tyson was well on top and, and absolutely... Uh, doing a job on him, and they went on to obviously rematch. Was it ninety six the rematch? It was uh, about five 90, years, ninety three, ninety three. I was think. It? Yes. There you go. There you go. So I just wanted to put that particular fight in there because it's the anniversary of it, and it is uh, a poignant memory. And um, what started my love affair uh, with boxing, I've, I remember the uh, the day after, or a couple of days after, uh, probably going through all. I think it was all five at the time of uh, the Rocky Balboa films, uh, back to back, because my dad had them on VHS. We had the old Betamax out there, yeah. uh, Gareth, back in the day. It was 96, you're right. It was seven years later when they yeah. fought again, you know, and this time, of course, uh, not as good as the first time, unfortunately. Um, mm. No, even more uh, even more uh, emphatic. Now, yes. <clears throat> we are uh, going to uh, be going over the life and times of James DeGale. We watched him last weekend against... Uh, uh, Chris Eubank Jr. This week he's called time on his career and we're going to go over that next here on Fight Night. You're listening to Talk Sport. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davis on Talk Sport. Uh, we've had an action-packed show so far. If you've missed any part of it because we are on earlier this evening I can understand uh, that you might have missed parts of it it will be available quite early for you on the podcast you can get it on itunes and you can get it from the Talksport website a really interesting chat with bob arum a couple of moments ago where we were talking about the possibility of who fury would fight next whether it would be wilder whether it would be joshua whether it would be pulev whether it would be parker all these different names did come up uh, but a lot of the conversation gareth was uh, about economics really and uh, the fight well, will happen when the money is right well it's, oh bless you um, oh, bless you, my Throw son. Throw there. Bless Throw you, my son. Get a bit of Guinness down, you lad. <laughs> oh, she's gorgeous. Um, <laughs> you've, I'm sure you did the voiceover for those adverts all those years ago. Hey, listen, um, that's a different life. Different your life. silky Stop tones. Um, your silky northern tones. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, look, um, here's the thing. Um, th throw it at me again. Look, just throw it at me again. H here's the thing with Bob Arum, right? He talks such a brilliant game. He's six decades nearly in the sport. He 
Another word for economics is we can double or treble your money. And that's really the mantra from what they're saying. Of course. Be patient. I mean, Bob said I do Fans care don't about... want to be patient, though. No, they don't exactly. want to be but patient. He, look, Bob, Bob, Bob got himself out of a clever cul-de-sac there by just saying, look, which fans? What fans? I know it's just a few voices on Twitter at times, but we know that those fights have to be made. They're going to have to push it, really mm. push it hard, because as you say... Sometimes fissures appear in the sport and and those kind of gaps get wider and wider and they never get repaired. And let's just hope this doesn't happen, Adam. Uh, if you are just tuning into us and you missed that conversation with Bob, it is available on our podcast, as I said. So do subscribe and you'll get that straight after the show. Uh, right now, though, one of the other big stories uh, this week, following on from our live broadcast last weekend from the O2 Arena, uh, where Chris Eubank Jr. beat James DeGale. James DeGale, Olympic gold medalist and two-time world champion, has decided to call time on his career. We're going to discuss that in a moment or two, but let's just relive some of those moments. James DeGale becomes the first boxer from Great Britain to win a middleweight gold medal since 1968. This could be it for Paul Smith. It is, it's all over. And Paul Smith's been stopped on his feet by James DeGale who becomes the British super middleweight champion. And James DeGale slumps to his first professional defeat. We saw from the body language of Frank Warren that James DeGale had nicked it. But it's George Groves who walks away with the British and Commonwealth super middleweight titles. At stake, super middleweight championship of the world. For the winner, by unanimous decision, and now the new super middleweight champion, Chunky James DeGale. Jack, what a fight here tonight at Barclays. Who will emerge as unified super middleweight champion? DeGale coming back. Wow! Mamma mia! The decision is a majority draw. Both champions retain their belts. Bitter, bitter disappointment for James DeGale, who can't believe it. But Caleb Truax... Such a likeable man, and he has produced the performance of his lifetime. And once again, the IBF super middleweight champion of the world, James Chunky Seconds of the fight. Who's going to finish as the ascendant? Gale holds his arm aloft to celebrate what he believes is a victory. Eubank holds his arm aloft. He is now the IBO super middleweight champion, Chris Eubank Jr. He won the IBF world title. He lost it to a really mediocre fighter. He then won it back. So he's two times world champ, two times IBF champ. He had a great amateur career. And, um, you know, you've got to leave it to the people to decide, the fans of the sport to decide where you put him in terms of um, greatness. Uh, Carl Frotch there speaking at the end uh, of that little ditty on the Jim White Show earlier this week on TalkSport. Gareth, I don't know about you, but James DeGale goes down in the history books for me. He's the first British fighter to win an Olympic gold medal and then go on to win a professional world title. End of. The rubber stamp is done. Yeah, Carl Froch, very kind of harsh on him this week, said, I, I would have absolutely smashed DeGale to bits, he said at the bo- at the end of that interview as well. Um, he's, he can be very harsh. Look, 
Here's what I do with James DeGale, okay? Uh, we've had some brilliant super middleweights, Adam. Um, Joe Calzaghi, Carl Froch, Nigel Benn, Chris Eubank, Richie Woodall, Robin Reeds, Callum Smith right now, yeah? So, you know, did I mention George Groves there? No, George Groves and James DeGale. Those two fit into that equation. Where you put them in that top nine or ten I've just mentioned there, yeah. I think DeGale is somewhere in the middle. I don't think he beats Froch. I don't think he beats Calzaghi. I'm not sure he even beats Nigel Benn or Chris Eubank, you know. Maybe Chris Eubank on points. But he's 4-5. He, he's one of the great boxers of this era. Um, he had some great nights. He did a lot of it abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've yeah. got to admire him for that. For, for upping sticks, going to America, taking on what America had to yep. offer and getting himself involved yep. with some of the very best. You, you've got to admire that because I, a lot of guys get in the comfort zone and they stay here in the UK, don't they, and don't go and challenge themselves. Yeah, and I think James probably earned in the region of 10 million as a boxer. I'm guesstimating there and he's done very well for himself. Our, our boxing editor, Matt Smith, and I went to his house a few weeks ago and you know what? As I said, I think I've said it on the show before. There was not a carpet. It was a show. (laughs) It was not a carpet hair out of place. He took me up to his dressing room. He's a lovely. Are we allowed to talk about that? What happened there? Listen, I even I (laughs) I even dashed into his bedroom to see if there were mirrors on the ceiling. But there there weren't. There weren't. There weren't. That was the biggest disappointment about satin sheets. Satin. Oh yeah, he's he's slick. All right, he's not just a slick southpaw in the ring. I think he's a bit of a slick southpaw. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Leave it there, anyway. leave it there. I bet he's got a come on and everything, hasn't he, the boy? <laughs> he didn't put it on at the time. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure dealing with James through his uh, amateur and professional career. He's been nothing other than gracious, I've always found. Yes, mm-hmm. he was nasty to opponents. He was kind of awkward with them at times. He said the wrong things. But do you know what? They were his rivals. Those mm-hmm. were the other lions in the in the jungle he wanted to be the king of. Um you know, he, he fought Badu Jack to a draw. He might have lost to, to to George Groves on points in a very close fight all those years ago um, and have a bad night against Caleb Truax. But I'm glad he recognised, Adam, that against Chris Eubank Jr., that he was bullied by the physicality of a man, not just on skills. And and it was the right time for him him to hang yeah. him up, you know? He was, um, was most certainly, we said this in commentary last week, mm. he was most certainly a shadow of himself. I genuinely mm. believe that the fight with Badu Jack has taken some something away from uh, from James Gale. Wars like that do. They do take years off your career. And I just thought maybe... I, I was hoping that Truax was just one of those freak fighters that maybe was stylistically wrong for him, maybe just had his number. And I, and I thought that he could maybe regain some of the some of the brilliance that we've uh, we've come to experience with James DeGale down the years in the uh, in the Eubank Junior fight. But it just wasn't to be. I thought his footwork wasn't there, his reflexes weren't there, and that's not taking anything away from Eubank Junior. But five years ago. James DeGale was a very different fighter. Yeah, and you might have said the same of George Groves as well. Look, they've, oh, they've retired within three weeks of each other. They mm. were in the same amateur club. I mean, I'm weirdly, you know, back in the early 90s, I think it was, if that's the right time. No, it's probably, yeah, 20 years ago. When, those, when they were nine-year-olds, I went to their amateur gym to do a feature on a guy called Mick Delaney, I think mm. it was, at Dale Youth. It was a tiny little chapel of rest in Notting Hill. And they were little kids then, and they, they spent a long time time in an arduous career they both became world champions they both earned a lot of money and they both really went through the mill and and 
it's interesting that they both retired about the same age, around the same time. And, you and know, with all the faculties, they're out yeah, with a few with quid all as well. They've exactly, done well. Exactly. I'm really pleased for them both. And I hope, I, hope we, I hope to get sit opposite them on a dinner circuit one night and just get them to rattle at each other and reminisce as the years mm. go by. You know? There's a lovely little clip going around on social media of James. At a, he's ringside at a fight and he's, 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 his face is obviously on the big screen. He hasn't realised and he's standing up and there's a lot of cheering going going on and he's thinking to himself are people cheering me are they not cheering me and it's quite a really beautiful heartwarming thing and that for me is what always came across with James that he just he just wanted to be loved by the British fans and I think now that the career he's called time in his career I think people can appreciate what he did and what he did give us as fight fans yeah and he was also very loyal I mean remember through thick and thin he stayed you know as you mentioned with Jim McDonnell mm. we, you know we love Jimmy Mack and you know the last chapter of his career the last quote that James um to Gail, um, thanked was his was Al Heyman. Interestingly, never thanked Eddie Hearn, who I thought was good for him as well. Mm. He's got his own reasons for that. Um, but you know, as you say, he made history. Um, Eighty to one underdog at the Olympics to win yes, the, the middle the middleweight title. And as he says, there's nothing left to prove. A majority of the greats go out on a loss. And for me, it's time to hang up the gloves and to move on with my head held high. The biggest problem for James is going to be occupying his time. Mm. Uh, James DeGale retiring this week. Stellar career. First British fighter to win himself an Olympic gold medal and uh, a professional world title. Do stick with us uh, because we're going to be speaking to uh, another gentleman who uh, was an elite amateur, an elite world champion. Can he recapture a fantastic year of 2017 after not-so-great 2018? Billy Joe Saunders is hopefully going to be on the show with us next. Let's go. You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall, Gareth A. Davis. Uh, alongside me as ever, and we're delighted uh, to welcome onto the show Billy Joe Saunders. How are you, sir? You well? How are you, my brothers? You good? Good, yeah, thank you. Good. Listen, <laughs> I'm delighted that we're actually speaking to you today because a couple of my mates sent me text messages and with pictures and various things like that, and they were telling me stories that you got yourself into a bit of bother this afternoon. I'm glad that you're here, so I'm well, assuming... Apparently, but... apparently, I'm first one I was dead, then I was shot in my hand, and then this, my... My arm got smashed up and this and that. It's all a load of rubbish, mate. All a load of rubbish. Well, you're here. Good stuff. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that because I was concerned <laughs> myself as well, genuinely. You know, Gar- what's going on? Gareth, you know, sadly, in the, in the gypsy community, you get some, some uh, you know, very jealous, jealous people. And, you know, to come and say it to my face or do anything to my face, you know, they wouldn't dream dare do that. Because, obviously, look, I, I know I'm a professional athlete, but... If anyone ever come to me and try to, you know, confront me or, or get in my face and, and they wanted a, an old-fashioned gypsy bare knuckle fight, Gareth, I'll, I'll probably give them it, mate. You definitely so, would. You definitely <laughs> would. The they got to sit by the screen and do it. But look, they're yeah. idiots, didn't they? So yeah. they get them anyway. Good. Listen, I want to talk about your uh, your upcoming fight because obviously it's, it's scheduled that you're stepping up. And you're supposed to be fighting for the WBO Super Middleweight Championship. Then Ramirez comes out and says that he's not vacated the title. So what's the latest, Bill? Well, you know, I'm sort of limited to what I can really say about it. But look, this is it. I told Frank Warren, um, promotions that obviously, look, I want that world title fight. I agree for it to be a world title fight. And now, um, you know, Ramirez is still world champion. So if it's not for the full world title, like agreed, everybody agreed. Um, my management, MTK, we all we all sat down. We all come to a uh, to a deal. Um, everyone was happy. I'm 
myself and my management side and even Frank. But, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's Frank's fault, but, you know, we announced it and he's still, you know, world champion, which is a bit, it's not good for this fight. It's not looking too good at this stage, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Because, because on the 18th of February, it looked as if um, Gilberto Ramirez had, of Mexico had vacated the title. Mm, mm. It was and then, a mistake on the WBO web, website, wasn't there? But on the, but Monday the 25th, no, yeah. I think he'd say, said, because he was stepping up to light heavyweight, wasn't he? That was the, what, the point. What, but then he said he what, wasn't. And you were, uh, you were due what? to face Shefat Isufi of Serbia for the vacant yeah. title. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, it's just so odd. Do you know, Gareth, do you know what? Uh, myself, as a as a uh, fighter, I want to be two-weight world champion. I'm, I'm very disappointed, Neil. Brain's got a very good relationship with the WBO now. Everybody at the WBO was was uh, told that he's vacating. So, you know, it's not, it's not. I'm not looking and pointing the finger at anyone. So it's not Frank. Really, because he's only, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been that stupid to announce yeah. it. Mm. You know, so, you know, obviously he's got clear, good information. But, you know, Ramirez himself decided, all right, well, I'll hold the title. But I also said to, uh, to Frank, I said, "Well, let's get Ramirez over then. Let me fight Ramirez. Yeah. Let him come over." Uh, but you know, he's having a steady fight at one uh, one seven five. Yeah, uh, so it's just a bit at the minute. Look, it's just a little bit up in the air, and you know, we're out seven weeks Saturday, and you know, I'm in training and that, but it's not looking promising to be honest with you at this stage. So, what are you going to do then? Would you go back down <laughs> because there's an opportunity there, obviously, for the Andrade fight, isn't there? Well, yeah, well, that's the fight I want. I am a 165. I only was moving up because I, I'm not... People say I was moving up because he can't make 160. I'm, I've done everything in my career at 160. Mm. You know, I'm not... I don't, I don't find it easy to make 160, but I can 100% make 160. And, uh, look, I have to I have to sit down with my management team, who I've been with uh, for a number of years now, MTK, sit down with them and, you know, plan my next move out because... You know, I really, really need to be pushing on now, and, and I want to be in these big fights. I need yes. to be in the in the Canelos and the Glovkins and you know the Andrade mix because they're the fights that I can get the bit between my mouth and really kick on and push on from there. The 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 thing is about the the middleweight division. Obviously, you're still you're you're, you're reinstated or whatever happened as number one challenger to um to the WBO title that Demetrius Andrade. Uh, yeah. Holds your your old title, your title, yeah. if you like, that he fate that you had to you were forced to vacate by the uh, the yeah. WBO. Um, what do you that what do you favour? Is it just you want a world title at whatever, whether it be sixty or sixty eight, or and is this possible? We'd all love to see you fight Chris Eubank Jr. again. Well, you know, I'm going to be straight and honest with you, Gareth. Eubank Jr. He wants to steer well clear of me after that performance last, you know, last weekend, because look, James DeGale has been in a lot of hard fights and he's 33 now. And, you know, he even said himself that he, he he didn't want to say it and admit it to himself, but he's not the same fighter. Now he went 12 rounds with with Eubank. Eubank caught him with the best shots he could, and he was still standing there. So look, I'm open. I'm open for them talks, but I've I've talked. I've done talks with them before, and I've signed contracts twice to fight them. And it's never ever, ever materialised. And you know they're very hard work to do. You know to do business with them. Look, maybe it can happen. Maybe it can. But I find it very hard to work with idiots, and uh, that's what they are. But what about but, the accusations he made about you after the fight? Which he, you know, obviously you had the the nasal decongestion. He was referring yeah. to that, wasn't he? He was trying to stick the the trying to stick the knife in a little bit, wasn't he? 
Do you know what? He is going to stick the knife in because, to be honest with you, he's got to go to bed every single night thinking that little gypsy beat that little gypsy <laughs> there. He's got to sleep. He has to go to sleep thinking of caravans. He has to go to, he has to, go to bed thinking of that at night. Every time he shuts his eyes, he remembers me. So, you know, he's going to kick the needle, he's going to stick the boot, he's going to do all of that. But, you know, if I ever lost, lost to him, Gareth, I promise you, I'll give you my word, and this is on my kids' life. If he ever beat me, I would be ashamed to go back and look my dad in the eye. Wow. Because he is rubbish. He is scrap. Honestly, he's fit for the scrap yard. Is he scrap metal, is he? He is scrap. We're weighing him in, Orson Cart. <laughs> <laughs> but what it was, Gareth, I just wanted a world title. You know, I wanted a world title shot. I was like, right, I'm killing two birds with one stone here because I am fighting for a world, you know, a world title and it's going to be two-time uh, two-weight world champion. But look, maybe, maybe it can pan out. Maybe Frank can work his magic and... You know, maybe it will happen, but you know, at this stage, I'm just looking at it back now, and I'm, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not particularly um, overwhelmed by the situation. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Bill, regarding obviously where you're at, because you have the Lemieux fight at the back end of 2017, and it's a world class mm-hmm. performance, mate. Everybody's going crazy, yeah. thinking, "Here we go, Billy's the man to take on the Canellas and the Triple Gs and snap them belts up." And then 2018. Yeah isn't the greatest of years inside yeah. the ring, outside the ring, yeah. mate. How do you look back at the last, twi- uh, at the last 12 years? I think in, in life you can get a little bit complacent and uh, a little bit trigger-happy. And, you know, I think it was it, it was one of them. I expected a big, big fight coming back in. Um, I, I was uh, put the Martin Murray fight twice in front of me and twice I had to pull out. And then it was like a bit of downhill from there. It was like a little bit gut-wrenching because I put a lot of work in them camps. Not a really a big fight, you know. Mike Murray, he's, he's a good fighter, but you know he's over the hill, and you know it, it, it was one of them where it was it was hard for me to get up. But you know, I think really everything what happened woke me up. You know, I'm, uh, in, in a way, I'm obviously I'm not pleased with the stupid things I've done uh, in 2008, but in a way, out of every bad comes a little good, and, and you know that really woke me up a little bit. And uh, I'm alive in 2019. That's the main thing. I just need to get a date and a fight now, but. I need, I need a, an opponent where, you know, an Andrade or a Glofkin where I think, right, this is it. I'm, I have to show what I've got. Plus, when I produce. So, so, with, so with that, with what you're saying there, if, the, if this fight against uh, Isufi is not for the WBO super middleweight title, will you go back down and fight Andrade at 160? I'm 100% going back and fight Andrade if this fight don't happen. If this is not the one okay. the WBO should look at the situation and think, right, we made a bit of an error here. We told his promoter and his management and Billy Joe that it was vacant. It's not, but what we're going to do, we're going to stick you back in number one. So I know Glofkin's in number one at the moment. Yeah. And uh, sadly yeah. in boxing, money talks. But if they're, you know, if, they, if they're right in their organisation, they go, look, it was our mistake, we'll put you back. All right, there you go. You've got so many uh, days to make the fight and crack on with it. We talk about dream fights, Billy. Callum Smith versus BJ Saunders, dot, discuss, dot. Listen, I am Callum Smith's a brilliant fighter. I really, really do rate him. Um, they're the sort of fights that I want. I'll be open to fight Callum Smith. I'll be open to fight any super middleweight or middleweight in the world. I, I, I would duck down for none of them. So, um, you know, I'm open to fight all customers. Brilliant. We wish you well, my man. Listen, Even yeah. Gareth outside. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me get, I've got to lose a lot of weight before that happens. <laughs> it's going to be I at least 10 you, years. Uh, Gareth, also, to know that we raid little Denver, to, we laid him to rest, so a big oh, yes. rest in peace to him and um, a big shout out to him. Blessings, today, so. yeah, blessings. Yeah, rest in peace. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so I just want to put that there. But thank you very much, Gareth. Thank Cheers. you for having me again. Well, 
Well said, uh, Billy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Take care, Good my night, man. mate. Cheers, um, boys. Billy Joe Saunders uh, on the show there. Um, interesting that because um, listening to him speaking there, it just it is a mess. The WBO situation with what's happened with him, and hopefully they can get it uh, solved. That he's fighting for a world title. If not, interesting that he will go back down to fight to, uh, middleweight against Andrade for the WBO version of that title. Yeah, the, 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 there's two. The, Andrade, uh, they're both very awkward fighters. I think Billy wins. It's that a on chess points. match. It's a, yeah, it's I, a chess I, match. That fight. It's not a fireworks fight, is it? No. And I watched Andrade. Who I can't remember who he, he won the vacant title against. Now it's got it's gone from my mind. It's too late. It's too long. <laughs> it, I wasn't really that interested because I wanted to see those two fight. Um, but uh, the two that fight. But also, I would love to see Billy Joe Saunders in with Saul Canelo Alvarez and Callum Smith. I think, stylistically, two brilliant matchups. And I would, I just really hope that Billy gets those two fights before his career's over. Top man. Uh, do stick with us. Plenty still to come. You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. Still Snoop Dogg and D.I. D.I. Guess who's back? You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davis. We are going to talk a little bit about MMA uh, in the next 15, 20 minutes or so because there's uh, a bit going on uh, in the mixed martial arts world. We'll get stuck into it shortly. Um, we are hoping as well to be speaking to uh, Shelley Finkel, who is um, one of Deontay Wilder's main advisors. It'd be great to get his take on uh, following on from the conversation that we had a little earlier on in the show. Uh, Co-manager. With Bob, with, well, yeah. All right. It's co-manager, isn't it? <laughs> right. Uh, it'd be great to get his take on what Bob Aram was talking about a little uh, earlier on in the show. So if you missed that, that's available on the podcast at the end of the show. It's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out because I, we, we, we hear the word business, we hear the word politics in boxing um, so many, so many times. Mm. And we do get, uh, sadly, <clears throat> we, the, the big fights seem to be avoided for periods of time. I'm not saying they'll be avoided altogether, but they do seem to be avoided for periods of time before we get what we want. Yeah, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll contact Shelley in a minute. I, I did speak to him earlier. He's definitely going to speak to us, Adam, in the next few minutes. But Shelley's in New York tonight. And just to, to make it clear, Shelley's already put on the record that um, the biggest problem, and we've had Bob Aram on tonight, and we've got to put it to Shelley, that Bob was saying that Shelley's not understanding the economics of this situation for his man, Deontay Wilder, versus Tyson Fury, if he's not getting it. But Shelley's argument, and I'm sure he'll elucidate more, is that the problem with the offer coming forward from ESPN and Bob Aram was that they had to sign over a lot of power, negotiable uh, and contractual power to ESPN stroke forward slash Bob Arum. And they weren't happy to do that because at the end of the day, and I think we do need to remember that and give Finkel his due and Jay Diaz, um, uh, Deontay Wilde's other co-manager, his due, uh, his trainer and co-manager is due, is that he is the World Boxing Council champion at the moment. Mm. Undefeated. Mm. What is it? With 39 knockouts, you know, and, and he knocked out every opponent apart from Tyson Fury. So they don't want to let their grip and their hands slip off the, the cliff and, and fall down into the precipice. So they have to think about the position of their guy. So it's a very, you know, it's a very difficult thing. I think Shelley's here now anyway. Yeah, well, let's get Shelley's uh, opinion on that. Shelley Finkel, welcome to the show. How are you? You well? I am very well, thank you, and glad to be on with Gareth. And <laughs> it's, great to, uh, it's great to have you on, obviously. We're a little disappointed at this moment in time because we were fully expecting May 18th to be the day. We were just waiting on a venue for Deontay to uh, be rematching Tyson Fury. 
Um, just talk us through those last couple of weeks and on, on how things kind of have broken down uh, between uh, making that fight. Well, you'll have part of your looking forward. Deontay will fight on May 18th, and by next week you'll have the opponent and location to report. Um, what happened is um, we thought we had a deal with um, um, Fury, and, you know, they say the devil is in the details, and until it's signed, you don't have a deal. Mm. And um, out of nowhere, um, him and his management decide to make this deal with ESPN and with um, Top Rank, and we found out after an, an announcement. I found out a half hour before the announcement. Frank called me, and they said, look, this is what happened. I said, well, I'm glad at least I know before the public, but not by much. <laughs> and, um, you know, look, it's boxing. I've been around it a long time. I have a lot of highs from it, and there are lows. I mean, um, it happens. You know, for a long time, Eddie um, Hearn frustrated us because he never really won. Oh, one second. <laughs> never Could stops. Could be Deontay, as long never as it's Deontay. Never stops, Shelley. Never stops. <laughs> Tell him that you're on the radio. There you go, you see. <laughs> Sorry. That's it's okay. quite, it's quite um, right, Shelley. Listen, earlier on, early on uh, Shelley, we had Bob Aramon, and he was talking about, obviously, this whole process. I've, I just want to play something because he was talking about the possibilities of obviously making this fight later on this year. This is what Bob had to say. The real problem I have as far as Wilder is concerned is not that Wilder isn't a great personality because he is. He's very funny. He's a nice, nice young man uh, and a very good athlete. But if he's going to be on Showtime, nobody watches Showtime for boxing. They have maybe 20 million homes subscribed to Showtime, most of whom subscribe to Showtime because of Showtime's entertainment. You don't have the, uh, the microphone at Showtime anywhere near that you have in, uh, on ESPN or you have on uh, Sky or BT in the United Kingdom. That is the thing that Shelley Finkel can talk about a million percent, but he doesn't understand or doesn't want to understand. There you go, Shelley. That's what Bob was talking about earlier on regarding Showtime and ESPN. Do you want to make a comment on that? Do you understand? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, I, you know, I somehow waddled through this business not understanding. <laughs> For 40 years, yeah. <laughs> um, there's several parts mm. to it. Mm. Is ESPN the um, larger viewing audience? Yes. So far, until we announce anything, we haven't said we're on Showtime. That's him talking. And it's nice to talk when you don't speak to the other side at all. Also, when we made the deal with Fury, the first one, we were dealing with Frank at the time. And I don't know because it didn't matter, but I have a feeling if I said to Frank, we're paying all this money for Fury, we want the next three options, we would have got it. But it never was discussed because that's not how 
as a manager, I do business. I was only interested in my fighter and the rematch. And if ESPN came to us, not top rank, and said, we would like to make a deal with you, it's a big difference than another promoter taking over my fighter when we don't need him. And even if Fury is an A-side instead of a B, we treated him as an A-side. We didn't ask anything from him. We said, let's just do a rematch. These are the terms if we win. This is the terms if we lose. We never thought of a draw. So um, in the 40 years, things happen. Next time I will put in for a draw also. But these things happen, you know, and... um, you just don't know until um, you're there. But um, we're going to go ahead with May 18th. It's not going to be on ESPN, and it's not going to be promoted by um, Top Rank. And hopefully sometime in the near future, the process will take, and we'll get the next fight on with Fury. Um, the You know, there's a lot of things that happened before the fight, which I think is what made the fight, you know, the number of buys, which we were happy with. It wasn't, you know, this big, big thing, but we didn't think it was. And going in, a lot of people believed that Fury was not up to the challenge. That he didn't look like he was his first two fights. He had the ability, but we didn't know. And I think that was behind a lot of people not buying it. Now, everyone says, I got to see the rematch. That first fight was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, Me, personally, when he hit the canvas and his head hit the canvas, I think it woke him up. Because I've seen that happen in training with Tyson, where he hit someone with the right hand, knocked him out. And as he was going down, he hit him with the left hook and it woke him. So I believe he was out when he was going down, but it woke. And then, not the long count, but when he was getting up, if the ref said, I can't let this go on after he got hurt like that, no one would have complained. Mm. If it went on the way it did, and Deontay landed another big shot, and he got seriously hurt, everyone would have said, why did you let it go on? But... It didn't, and it turned out to be a good result all around. But there are other scenarios that could have happened, and if any of those would have happened, no one would have complained either. Um, Shelley, there's a couple of things that, that I think are very salient here. I think you put your points um, very succinctly and, and, and very clearly. Um, you've been involved in these scenarios many times we were talking about mike tyson against frank bruno 30 years ago almost to the day um in in the las vegas hilton all all that time ago when you're in a situation like this to what extent is the size of the next fight which is what this has become wilder against uh, against tyson fury because there's so much money available now in the rematch What's your feeling that almost the greed of the fight now, could it force it into not happening? If you were to put, 
a percentage on whether you think these two men will fight again this year, you know, 60%, 70%, 80%, do you think we are going to get that rematch in your heart of hearts? Yes. There you go. And there's several reasons. One, once Fury gets this first fight out of the way, I don't think the networks are going to pay consistently this kind of money mm. for B-level opponents. Mm. And I don't think the public is going to want it. And, you know, Aram says about building up Deontay, he doesn't say, I'll step aside, let you make a deal with ESPN, because that's where you should be. It's he wants it. He wants to be the promoter. He sent us a four-fight deal. In the deal, he was looking for a certain percentage in his um, expenses. I understand that, but that's not what we're going to do. But do you you think... um... It's all about the, the, the carving up of the cake now. Is that, I mean, and you, what you're saying is that ESPN as TV executives and as a money-making machine and Tyson Fury in terms of wanting to project himself into that position to potentially be the number one in the world and Deontay, that we are going to get this in the fall. Yes, and when you mentioned about money, I quoted recently Warren Buffett, the financier. In a rising tide, all ships go up. (laughs) And when the water goes out, you'll see who's wearing the bathing trunks or not. (laughs) Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that is going to be what happens here. This can't continue. While it's doing it, we all move forward. But at some point... Someone is going to say, we got to be rational. we got to make this work properly. And I believe that Aram, being smart, which he is, and a very good promoter, which he is, he said, let me tie up Fury. That's how I'll get Wilder. Mm. He got Fury. He's not mm. getting Wilder except maybe in a co-promotion on a rematch and a, and a triple header. And I'm open to that. Regarding um, Deontay on uh, Sirius XM over in the States, a radio station over in the States, yesterday he was insinuating that it's now more likely that he would fight Anthony Joshua next rather than, uh, not next, but, you know, uh, before he fought the uh, rematch with uh, Tyson Fury. What can you throw on that? I have no idea. I just, what you're telling me is the first time I heard that. Um and um, it's interesting. Eddie sent us an offer. Um, to me, it was not much of an offer. Other people may think it is, but I have, you know, reasons with, you know, the whole package. You don't look at just a single dollar amount. This is in the last few days, you're saying, yeah? Correct. Yeah. And he said, oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> we've, got well, to if, get, we've got to keep Shelley Fink along because this a, is amazing. I know, but if a fight is about to be made and Shelley's about to say yes and we hear it. <laughs> we, 
We will we will keep him on the show because I'm but sure people this, listening to the show are, are intrigued by this particular point. Yeah, of well, this is speaking fascinating, to Adam. You know, Hi. yes, so, Shelley, as you, as you were, carry on. So, when I used to say this with Don King, he would say, "I paid a fighter more than anyone ever has." I said, "But did you pay him the right amount?" <laughs> and because someone was getting $10 and you offered him 15 it may sound good, but it's not good if you were making 75 mm -hmm. And I would be derelict as a manager to not know what the whole pie is mm -hmm. and what percentage of that pie my fighter should get. And those are things that are never mentioned, but that's what the equation comes to. Have you asked for those figures? Have you asked for the whole pie? No. No? No, because first of all, he knows I'm going to. Mm. And second, I haven't asked him to make me an offer. <laughs> was it, was the wanted... offer derisory, though, Shelley? I'm sorry? It, if the right word is derisory, the offer you got from Eddie Hearn since the Fury um, Wilder fight for now that we thought was potentially May the 18th was off, the offer that you got from Eddie Hearn, I don't want to use the word derisory, but was it nowhere in the ballpark? Inadequate. It wasn't where you're at. Nowhere in it. Not worth a, re, um, a return um, reply even. Hmm. And um, I'll tell you why I'm not talking to him at all at this moment so you know. And it's the first, I've told it to people off the record, but I'll say it the way it is. When... Canelo was fighting at Madison Square Garden on December 15th. That week, early in the week, Eddie called me. And he said, can we meet? I said, let's do it on the phone. He said, look, I have a big office. I said, I don't want any office from you. I said, the Eddie Joshua show is over. If you want to make a fight... We sit down and make a fight. We'll worry what the split is when we sit down. And then we'll go out to promote the fight to make it the biggest fight possible. He said, that's fine with me. He says, when do you want to meet? I said, I'll send you an email. I'll look at my calendar. I sent him an email saying Friday the 14th at 3 p.m. He never responded. I never heard from him. I come home that evening, and on this phone, the answering machine was a message from him that he called at 3 o'clock. So I called him 10 that evening, and I said, Eddie, you never responded to my email. You have my office number. You have my email address. You have my mobile number. Why didn't you try any of those numbers? I can't talk now. I'm in a restaurant. I said, okay. He said, how about tomorrow? I said, what time? He says, 10 a.m.? I said, I will call you at 10 a.m. I called him at 10 a.m. He never answered, never returned the call. That afternoon and evening, Joshua was interviewed at MSG and that. And he says, look, what does the guy want? I'm giving him Wembley and I'm giving him. Stop giving me. We're not looking for a handout. We're looking to make the right deal for the two fighters. And when we wanted Fury, at that moment, we feel we overpaid. He may not, but we feel we did. 
because that's the fight that was wanted. That's the fight we believed we would win. Fury was a lot better than we anticipated. And that's the fight the public got and got a great fight. And if Fury and if Joshua and Eddie really want to make a deal, they get off their high horse and they say, okay, we're ready to make a deal. We're not offering you things. What do you want? That's not in their mindset, and I have no interest in going any further with it. But I'm telling Gareth because, you know, he's one of the few people I'm close with as a reporter, and that's the story. Fascinating. Fascinating, it is, yes, indeed. Well, Shelley Finkel, thank you so much for your time uh, this evening. I've no doubt that our listeners have uh, got a great deal of value out of that. So, th- Shelley, thank you so much. I know your time's precious. Uh, I'll let you get back to the business of boxing. Gareth, me and you will continue. Uh, Thanks, the Shelley. Uh, you're listening to uh, Fight Night here on Talk Sport. Don't go anywhere. Listen to Fight Night on Talk Sport. We're nearly the end of the show, but we've got a couple of minutes just to digest everything that we've heard from Deontay Wilder's co-manager, uh, Shelley Finkel. Fantastic coup, that, Gareth, getting him on the show. Uh, uh, the last gas there, obviously, he's in the middle of business as his phone was going off throughout the course of that conversation. Uh, but just some of the things that he was saying there regarding mainly his dealings with Eddie Hearn, fascinating things. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think what we're hearing there is... The frustrations of a man who's been involved in boxing for many, many years, obviously closely aligned with Mike Tyson and the likes of Vladimir Klitschko, the Klitschko brothers, uh, for a long time. A very experienced lawyer, negotiator. And I think finding frustrations with, and a power struggle in a sense, with, with Eddie Hearn, who is extraordinary, who's been given extraordinary power with his in his link up with DAZN and with what he's done with Anthony Joshua. And, you know, from what, Shelley Finkel was saying tonight, Adam, that clearly he was being driven around a corner all the time and being told to turn right, turn right, turn right, and ending up on the on the same corner of the same block all the time mm. without getting anywhere. But also feeling that I got the sense tonight that because the dealings between their group and 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 um and Tyson Fury was so good the first time for Deontay Wilder. They're very optimistic that fight will be made again, and that a fight with with Anthony Joshua is still a very long way away. Mm, fascinating things. Listen, if you missed any part of that conversation um, with us and Shelley Finkel, Deontay Man, uh, Deontay Wilder's and Bob Arum and Bob Arum. Well, tonight. Bob Arum was earlier on, but that particular conversation. Yeah. Um, then you can get that via our podcast, which is available on iTunes, and it will also be available on the TalkSport website near enough, straight enough after the show. I've no doubt the Shelley Finkel stuff will be going around on the uh, TalkSport social media as well, so do keep across uh, that. Bob Aaron was on the show earlier on, as was Anthony Yard. Uh, fantastic conversations, all available on our podcast. Great show tonight. Thank you very much for your company, Gareth, as ever, my friend. Been a pleasure. Um, we will be uh, back in the seat next week as we bring you more fight night here on the Home of Boxing, here on TalkSport. Hopefully, there'll be some big fights that are made this week that we can talk about next week. Have a good night. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. 
Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.